This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrowski, and back with me after his week hiatus is the fantasy hockey robot himself, the guy who's going to help me break down everything going on leading into our fantasy playoffs, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. So nice to be back. Now that we have passed officially, Elon, let, we can make it official. We have more than one million total downloads. We're adding another tile on the Keeping Carlson Highway sign to show how many people we've served. Thank you for being any number of those downloads and listening uh, with us along the way. And Elon, your intro was very fitting to celebrate the occasion. I, I assume that what that that's what that was. Was there a tune there? I was doing the tune from this show I saw, Come From Away. There was a song, I Am an Islander, and it's in my head. I just saw that show, Mervish Theater. It was a wonderful production. I recommend anyone go to see it if they can. I'll tell you one person who would never sing that song again. His name is John Tavares. Oh, I was actually thinking of making that joke later on in the show, but <laughs> you beat me to it. Okay, uh, let's get going. we got a lot to get to today. Of course, before we get into it, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the top fantasy hockey website out there. Last week, we talked about them and how great they were breaking down every single trade. Brian, I'm so excited, by the way, to do this episode with you and break down the trades with you and get your takes. It's been a whole week of not knowing what you think about all the trades. But yeah, like that site, you can still go check out every single trade, which players benefited, which players, you know, value went down. Plus all the tools I use to prep the show every week. Like that's really the bread and butter is that frozen tools. I love it. You get your line combinations. The player profiles give you all the advanced stats as well as breakdowns of like line mates and just everything. It's all there. Starting goalies. Check it out. DauberHockey.com. Frozen tools. You got Dauber prospects. You can go there. You can spend a day just browsing around the Dauber Hockey site. Uh, Brian, okay. Oh, also, by the way, thanks to Peter Harling from Dauber Prospects for helping me break down all of the trades last week, Brian, in your absence. Brian, uh, what'd you think of the show? That was like a really good one, right? Great job, Peter Harling. One of the best. He's, he's, a, he's a gem. I love how Peter, he knows so much about prospects and he's able to sort of give us his sense of what's going on in the NHL, but also with that nuance of how it'll affect things down the road. And, you know, Brian and I, obviously that's not our bread and butter. So you guys could all check out the Dauber Prospects podcast if you want to hear more about those youngins. But let's get into the old guys. And yeah, Brian, I wanted to start by just 
touching base, getting your take on some of the trades from last week before we get into, you know, all the news from the week that everything that's happened since. Like, in, in general, like, do you see any players who you really want to bring up that whose stocks, like, especially rose or fell due to their movement or move them, movement around them with their teams making trades? I've got my answer for my top riser and top faller in value after the trade deadline. So I'll bring that up in a sec. You already know who I'm going to bring up. Do you have any other names aside from the couple that I have prepared that you want to bring up? I was a little jealous to not get to be a part of that show. So I have a whole bunch. Can I just run? I'll I'll run through them. You can interrupt me as needed. I might be jumping ahead to some other things this show. But how about in terms of rises and falls? And also, I'd actually like it's so nice to be on the episode one week after the trade deadline, because on the one, just like I don't know where they're going to play. Where might they play? And now we've seen a few games from everybody to see what they're capable of. Uh, The biggest fall in value that I, I think I see might be someone who didn't move at all, but saw everyone around them move. And that's Thomas Shabbat. Who is left? Ryan. What? You know that I had Thomas Shabbat prepped to bring up. I have a whole thing. You're you're, you're stealing my thunder. I said, aside from the two that you know I have coming. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) Okay. Well, I can save it for later. But I'll just say uh, that Ottawa is now in Anaheim territory for goal scoring. Like there's nobody left there and Ottawa for all their defensive issues that caused them to lose so many games this year, they were still a half decent team offensively, like middle of the pack. Uh, And now, you know, you say someone's got to score, but we've seen that's not always the case as the ducks are an example of this year. And Ottawa might even be thinner on talent. So uh, really rough for Shabbat. And then I'm trying to find a silver lining for any Sens fans listening. Anthony Duclair, uh, he doesn't rise or fall. He just like convulses in place. His value is rock bottom, but like there's a little twitch there now that he's going to maybe be asked to do a little bit more work than he was before, had the opportunity to before. Um, Another guy whose value was already down, but is now like definitively down who we were waiting. It's like, can Brian Little step up as a second line center? Well, he doesn't need to anymore. Now that he's playing with uh, tonight, it's Sunday. He's playing with Brandon Tanev and Andrew Kopp on the third line. His time as a second line center seemed about over, had a good run there, but it was definitely petering out over the last year or two. And then I would say uh, Nick Ehlers, his value goes up because he gets to play with Hayes instead of little. Uh, And Patrick Liney moving up to play with, Shifley and Wheeler is a really interesting turn of events. So I think his values help too. And of course, Kevin Hayes himself going to Winnipeg. I, I think that works out for him. He's going to get better line mates now than were Jimmy Vc and Pavel Buchnevich. And Elon, he's the, I'm not, I won't get into him yet. I know you're bringing him up later. Um, somebody who stayed. Huh? Let me jump in here. I got, you're saying all these names. You, you gotta let me comment. You're not used to it. Normally I'm the host of the show and I bring up the names and I know when to leave those spaces. So you could chime in here. Uh, Patrick Laine, just want to throw it out there. He was actually on the top line before the acquisition of Hayes, right? It was like Ehlers coming back from injury yeah. and I think even a game before that. So I think Laine's value just goes up from the fact that he got moved up to the top line. Nice to see him getting going again. If he does get, sorry to interrupt, if he does get moved off the top line, then he's still with Kevin Hayes, which is better than Brian Little. Yeah, totally. And you know what, Elon, I have a whole bunch more ups and downs that we're just naturally going to get to over the course of the show. I don't want to steal your thunder any more than I already have. The one player who you don't have lined up for us to talk about, though, who I think stands to gain and already has is Anthony Mantha, who is already on a nice roll heading into the trade deadline. He now has four goals and eight assists. 
for 12 points in his last nine games, 34 shots in that span. He's pointed in eight of his last nine games. And like I said, some of that came before the trade deadline, but it's nice to think or to imagine that there's a better chance of it continuing after the deadline. Now that he is getting to play like there's no, with Nyquist gone, there's nobody else to really challenge him for the spot on the top line, playing alongside Dylan Larkin, Unless, of course, the Red Wings, as usual, uh, would like to throw just an ablocator up there for no particular reason. But barring that, I could see Anthony Mantha sticking by Dylan Larkin's side the rest of the way. I streamed Mantha in last week, and he's staying on my roster as long as he's playing with Larkin. Yeah, might as well, for sure. He's on a great run. He's playing on the top line, also getting power play time with Larkin. So yeah, I totally agree with you that Mantha definitely benefits from having Nyquist leaving town. And Nyquist is a guy who might really be hurt by uh, not losing the Dylan Larkin as a lineman. But we'll get to him in a little bit. Uh, I'll give you my answers here for, I think, my like top riser and top faller. Uh, I think Jimmy Vesey gets a huge opportunity now, a lot like Mantha, right? Now that uh, the Rangers have Zuccarello and Hayes out of the picture, Jimmy Vesey has found himself playing on the top line with Kreider and Zabanajad. And on the top power play with those guys in Buchnevich. And I was going to say Shattenkirk, but I saw today it was Anthony D'Angelo on the top power play. But either way, Jimmy VC seems to have gotten the big job with the amazing because of Banajad. Of course, VC had three straight one goal, one assist games. It was looking totally amazing. But then I decided to pick him up in one of my leagues. And now he's gone pointless in his last two games. But hey, Zabanajad's also been pointless in those games. So I'm not going to put the blame on VC. And as long as he's on that top line, top power play, I think that he's a guy I'd be very excited to add in fantasy. And especially with his schedule next week, the Rangers play uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. This week, so that's not so exciting. But then the following week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. So if you want to plan ahead, you might be able to get a lot of games of VC in your lineup. Did you just say you're not going to blame VC for not scoring because of Benajad didn't score, which is sort of you saying, well, it's the Benajad's fault VC didn't get any points. Yeah, exactly. I feel like I like VC. <laughs> no one thinks VC's a superstar here. I like him because he's playing with Zibanejad, who's been getting points every single game. If Zibanejad's going to take a vacation, what's VC supposed to do? He's not going to do it himself. Okay, it just sounds kind of harsh if you're saying, like, Zabanajad is the one who needs to provide VC these points, and now he he didn't get to score himself, and that's his fault for, for leaving VC alone on Pointless Island, or, or inviting him <laughs> to that island. Uh, like, it's good for VC, right, to be playing with Zabanajad. I still definitely question VC's offensive upside. Remember all the hubbub when he was coming into the league, and there's a lot of hype around him, and we illustrated why we didn't think he was going to become a big offensive of producer in the NHL. Um, now VC has scored three times on his last nine shots, which helps me feel like I'm I'm still right to be cautious. But yes, uh, the fact that VC gets to play with legit top line center Mika Zibanejad is a reason to see if you can stream him into your lineup because Zibanejad is someone who really can bring points to just about anyone who plays with him. He has evolved into that kind of player. Yeah, if I if anything, like I would say VC had a bigger rise than Anthony Mantha because like you said, Anthony Mantha was already hot and already getting some turns with Dylan Larkin throughout the season. Jimmy VC was on nobody's fantasy radar until the Rangers decided to stop playing Zuccarello and Hayes leading up to the trade deadline. And by the way, that was crazy this year. Right? So many of these pending unrestricted free agents who we knew were going to get traded just benched for two even like three games for a couple of them like same thing happened on ottawa that was so frustrating patty said in the chat room here she's never going to draft ufas again because they sat for like a whole week 
very frustrating. Something to keep in mind, I guess, when you're drafting next year, you might lose a week of production from these players as the trade deadline approaches. At least Yahoo was kind enough to give day-to-day status to these players who were getting benched, so you were able to put them in your IR and not just lose them for nothing. Uh, but anyways, yeah, back to the Rangers. What I was just going to say is VC rises because he was like a nothing. Now he's on the top line, and so I'll give him that award. We'll see if he can you know, hold on to that spot and keep earning it. Uh, the biggest fall, like you started to say, and how who I'll continue to say, Thomas Shabbat, right? Like, this guy, we got a, we had a question on Facebook actually yesterday. Patron Julian asked, send one player back in a trade where I acquire Krug. And his options were Ghost Bear, Shabbat, or Schmidt. And he gave the categories. He said the trade deadline is tomorrow, making a last effort for the cup. And the first two answers that came up before I came in were to say Nate Schmidt, which kind of makes sense because, you know, Schmidt is like nothing special. Like he's sort of an old, reliable guy. He gets you points every once in a while. I think he got another assist today. Uh, obviously, there's a whole conversation to be had about Gosses Beher and what's happening with him in Philly. And we'll get to him a bit later in the show. But I threw out Thomas Shabbat. Like, I feel like I know that he's done so amazing so far this year. He's currently on a 66-point pace, but I don't see that continuing. In fact, I can see that continuing to fall and fall and fall. He only has one assist in his last seven games, including another donut today versus Florida. He's on a 66-point pace now, like I said. But like you said, Brian, uh, like who's this guy going to get points with? I don't see anyone. I wouldn't be surprised to see him fall to like 55 points maybe by the end of the season. Like I don't know how many more points Thomas Shabbat is going to be able to get. Anyone who drafted him and then traded him for, like, I think in one of my leagues, I saw a Shabbat for Pasternak trade made and like, come on, right now that's looking like such a huge win. Yeah, really rough for anyone who bought high-ish on Shabbat, even if they thought like, hey, I'm happy if he's in the 50-55 point range. This is really bad news for anybody who owns him. Now the top power play in in Ottawa is, or it was today, Duclair, Bobby Ryan, uh, Brady Kachuk, and Colin White. Uh, The Ottawa power play has one goal on their last 16 tries going back to the game before Matt Duchesne was traded, Uh, not including today's game though. Um, I wouldn't expect things to get a whole lot better for that power play unit. And that's going to hurt a lot of Shabbat's production. Maybe you can, if you're in a deeper league, say, oh, Duclair, Ryan, Kachuk, White, uh, they're all on the top power play. Maybe I want to try them out. Sure. Like maybe there's some uh, very faint residual value there if you're in a deep enough league. Uh, But otherwise, it just feels like it's about to, like Ottawa is going to become an offensive wasteland. Yeah, I agree with you. And like you said, I I even could see Anaheim scoring more goals than Ottawa moving forward. Uh, I'll give my runner up for biggest fall from the trade deadline. I feel like it's got to be Alex Tuck because he's been bumped now to the third line with Brandon Peary and Cody Eakin after Vegas acquired Mark Stone. Mark Stone's taken that spot where Tuck produced so many points with Stasny and Pacioretty. Now it's Mark Stone who's been there. And uh, yeah, like Tuck, he scored on Friday, but no points today. And I feel like I'd be ready to call him a snoozer. He was already on a cold streak and I was actually telling people in the Facebook group and now I'm kind of embarrassed. Because I was like, oh, you know, hold on to Tuck. He's playing with Stasny and Pacioretty. I'm sure he'll bounce back. Then Vegas started shaking up the lines even before they acquired Stone. And I was getting even more nervous. And at this point, yeah, you could definitely drop Alex Tuck. He's not going to be able to keep up what he was doing before if he's playing on the third line with Puri and Cody Eakin. So, yeah, it, like, Brian, if, he, if Tuck was dropped in any of your leagues, you wouldn't be adding him, right? No, I wouldn't. And I'm glad you brought him up. I actually tweeted about this one a few nights back at Keeping Carlson. Uh, of course, this is bad news for Brandon Perry, too, who already was on the outside looking in. Maybe it's a like now he's almost certainly not in the top six, but at least he's got a playmate on line three that he can work with. So so that's the silver lining if you're looking for one in leagues where Perry and Tuck uh, could be owned is that neither one is alone. At least they have each other. By the way, how incredible is it that Vegas has straight up added an entire second line 
Over the course of eight months, they signed Stasny on July 1st via free agency, acquired Pacioretty via trade, Mark Stone via trade. And there's term with all of these guys. Stasny's around for another couple years. Patches and Stone longer. It's almost like a, a post-expansion draft for the Vegas Golden Knights building their second line to think that any team in the league, hypothetically, could have acquired a second line that they had zero rights to as of June 30th last year. Pretty impressive uh, GM'smanship by GMGM, George McPhee. Yeah, definitely. Like, And I remember at the end of last season, we were sort of thinking, or I remember I was at least thinking, you know, like Vegas is kind of in trouble because, yeah, they had a great year, but now they're losing all of these players. Like they lost a second line at the end of last year. Like Perron left. Uh, what's his name? The guy who went to James Neal. I already forget. He's become so, so irrelevant. But James Neal left to Calgary. Who was the? Oh, and then it was. Oh, what's his? Oh, man, Brian, I'm, I'm uh, dying right now. Not Perron. So Perron Neil? went to St. Louis. Neil went to Calgary. And then there's the guy who was centering their second line that's been injured all season long. Howla. Yeah, Eric Howla, right? So they lost like all three of them, Howla to injury. And like you said, like they've replaced them all with with upgrades. So it's like when we were worried that like, oh no, this team is maybe was going to go down to being more of a one-line team, maybe one and a half lines. All of a sudden, yeah, they look like a superstar team. And now you have Alex Tuck and Brandon Peary on the third line, which isn't too bad. Plus they have the great defense. Right? They have Schmidt, Theodore, and Colin Miller, all like reasonable guys to consider adding in fantasy so yeah fantastic vegas golden knights they're going to be a winning team for a long time and you can't blame mark stone for wanting to sign there of course no it's a great lesson on how any like you can't be mad at like you you should be mad at your team's management if they're not doing what it takes to be competitive yes each market has its own hurdles to clear sometimes it's like players just don't really want to live there as much as they want to live in vegas or there's cap issues or whatever but the fact that Vegas, an expansion team, has found a way to be this competitive for two years running. Because remember, uh, the Florida Panthers did it early on in their history, too, and then collapsed and fell apart and still have ne- never really risen to the level that they were at. Uh, so good on Vegas for sustaining. And like, let's still remember, I, I guess we already have, that Peary and Tuck make up a pretty good third line. So th- this is a pretty good top nine for Vegas, which gives them depth that can help them in the playoffs. Like, Tuck is no... No chump, right? He had 40 points in 44 games. It wasn't really unsustainable. He's just now been bumped from a role that had been working really well for him. And and rightly so, the poor guy. I, I wouldn't want him on my second line above Mark Stone. So it's a big fall for him. And just to cycle back to your original question, Elon, if you own Alex Tuck, it's time to consider dropping him. And if he's available in your league, he's not an automatic ad, right? Only if he gets back into the top six somehow, which seems like a tall task, given that everybody seems to be clicking there, including Riley Smith. Yeah, and plus Eric Halla maybe will come back at some point. They'll have another strong piece. Plus they have uh, some great players that they drafted. So good for the Vegas Golden Knights, but let's stop talking about them. Right now, I want to get into the core content for this week's show. Starting tomorrow, there's five weeks left in the NHL regular season. As far as I know, default Yahoo settings have their league playoff starting next week, like a three-week playoff. And then there's going to be two weeks where your season is over. So like this is the time in fantasy hockey where you've got to really pay attention to the schedule. And also we've got to be a bit ruthless with our ad drops and so I was thinking maybe since it's going to be playoff time for Fantasyland, why don't we take a look at the playoff situations in the actual NHL and then we can sort of glean some fantasy lessons as we go through the teams. But I'm interested to just kind of check in and see what teams are looking like they're in playoff spots. What are the races? Who are the teams that we think are going to need to, you know, have to play extra hard? And who are the teams that are going to be able to start resting players soon? So I'm just going to kind of go through both conferences and see who's in the playoff race, who's not. And we'll go over the fantasy values of players on those teams as we go. What do you think? 
Sounds so good. We'll try it. We'll try it. Something new. We'll see how it goes. So let's start in the Eastern Conference. Tampa Bay is, of course, at the top of the conference and of the Atlantic Division. They're 50-12-4 on the season. Unbelievable. The next best team in the league currently is Calgary, and they're over 10 points behind. Like, Tampa Bay is going to run away with the President's Trophy for sure. Still, like, for a team that's in first place, it's kind of an interesting situation in terms of players for fantasy. They keep shifting their lines around, so it's really hard to find which players are the most valuable to own on the team aside from like the core four and well, Vasilevsky. So, you know, you've got Stamkos and Kucherov and Braden Point, and then you have Hedman on defense. You have a Vasilevsky in net. And kind of there's a whole bunch of other players that kind of feel like they probably are worth owning, but none of them have, like, I feel like this is a team. I've never seen a team in fantasy before that scores so many goals, but has so few sure fantasy relevant need to own them players. So let's go through them. Like last time we touched down on, the Lightning, Yanni Gourd, we were talking about him as being a must, must add. He was playing on a line with Kucherov and Point. We said, like, go and grab him. And then, like, I feel like it was the week after we said that he got bumped to the bottom six. And now he only has one assist in his last five games. So, sorry, everybody. We kind of blew that one. But what can you do? I thought he was maybe going to stick. Like, it's not as if Tampa was losing games. Generally, in my mind, I think if a team is winning games, they're going to stick with their lines. But I guess Tampa just really wants to tinker and get it just right um so yesterday Yanni Gourd was playing with Stamkos and Palat so that's good not as good as Kucherov and Point but I'll take it Stamkos and Palat before that he was in the bottom six for a bit so maybe he will start to bounce back soon yesterday in the route of the Sens it was Tyler Johnson in that coveted third wheel spot with Kucherov and Braden Point uh Johnson had nothing to show for it though not even a shot and he only has two points in his last seven games this would be one of those ads that you make because you like his situation even though he hasn't done anything yet uh jt miller's been playing on the top power play so he's another guy that might be worth owning he's actually the one getting points recently has four points in his last six games andre palat has been bumped to the second power play and like again as i said he's on that stamp coast line but he's not doing much of anything so of these four guys who i think are owned in a lot of leagues but also maybe the top of free agency in a lot of leagues yanny gore tyler johnson jt miller andre palat who interests you at this point like could you give us a quick ranking? Who's the one that should for sure be owned in every league? Or And you could feel free to say none of them. And you could just keep on switching around. Whoever's played with Kucherov is probably the best one to own. I mean, that is essentially the answer, right? But I'll try and at least provide some extra context. And I'll actually, uh, Lewis from Average Time on Ice said to me, we we had a, a cup full tier one Sweden matchup this week with huge playoff implications. It was very intense ah, for the first few days. Uh, sorry, Lewis. Uh, anyway, but he mentioned earlier in the matchup that nobody is better. He has Andre Palat, and he's a nobody's better at contributing when it doesn't matter than Andre Palat. And it's true, both in real life and in fantasy. I don't see why Andre Palat can't be consistent when given the deployment. Like, he always seems to surge when you've given up on him, and then he sputters when you've bought in again. One of the more consistently frustrating fantasy owns for me is Andre Palat. The talent is there, so are the line mates. Past production is there, but current production, steady production, absolutely missing from his current resume. So that's a bummer for anybody who's rightfully taken a flyer on Andre Palat and is trying to wait until he does something for their lineup. Then there's JT Miller, who isn't someone who has been so frustrating and quiet when he is getting one of top six and or top power play deployment. Uh, If you're a Miller owner, your frustrations are coming when he's sent off the top power play or into the offensive abyss of the Tampa Bay bottom six with no real apparent reason for it. Uh, But for the short term, especially on the top power play unit, I can get into him as a nice stream. Uh, And then uh, Tyler Johnson 
best third wheel spot in the league, right? Playing with Kucherov and Point or one of them. That'd be a fun conversation, Elon, to rank all the potential third wheel spots. Maybe that's something for a patron cast or in the off season. Um, so I'll go Tyler Johnson first because he's spending the most time uh, each game with Kucherov and Point for the moment. Then JT Miller and then Andre Palat. Hmm, interesting. And then you have Yanni Gord at the bottom. No interest at all. Yeah, Palat and Gord seem very similar, right? Both of them can get super hot when they're playing with good deployment, but they can also do absolutely nothing and get shuffled in and out over and over again. So I'd consider them about level. Yeah, that's an interesting discussion, actually. Best third wheel spots in the league. Sometimes a third wheel spot doesn't exist and then opens up for a short period of time and then closes again. Like on Colorado, we saw Alex Kerfoot playing with Rantanen and McKinnon for, like, I guess a week. But I saw today they were back to having Landis Gog on the top line. So no more third wheel spot. It wouldn't be fair to Landis Gog to call him a third wheel. He's obviously a big offensive contributor. I guess Boston, like Danton Heinen is there now. We'll see what Pasternak comes back if that third wheel spot remains or if Pasternak just takes that spot back on the top line. Hey, we got a Patriot cast actually coming in two days on tuesday the patrons will have a special bonus episode where they can ask us any question they want so feel free to throw that question at us and then it'll force brian and i to have that conversation uh okay so tampa's number one in their division and the conference and just like last year boston and toronto are looking destined to lock up the two and three spots in the atlantic and play each other in the first rounds of the playoffs they have 87 and 84 points respectively the next closest team in that division is the Habs with 77 and the Habs are just keep falling, so I don't think they're going to catch either of those teams. Uh, if you had to pick right now, and that's not fair, actually. Montreal lost yesterday, but they were doing okay before that. But okay, if you had to pick right now, who do you think would win the next round of Leafs versus Bruins? I have a lot of friends at my work that would just cry and maybe have to take a sick day if the Bruins beat the Leafs again. And that's why I want it to be the Bruins, although the Bruins fans would be equally distraught. I just, they'd be out of sight. I wouldn't get to see the pain and suffering that I have to feel every day as somebody who lives in Ottawa. Uh, so uh, if they had to face each other today, the, the X factor here, Elon, tell me if I'm crazy. I feel like the attention in Toronto is legitimately a factor. Like if Toronto wins game one and game two, no problem. Like everything's going to be okay. But if they get into an early hole in a playoff series, I could see the media attention being so draining and so intense and like the questioning and the lot, like it just seems like it'd be something really hard to work through. And I feel like Toronto has, has set their mind towards insulating themselves as best they can from that and, and being very strategic in how they engage with the media and who talks and when, but they have to be masters at it to survive the media crush that's going to follow them through the playoffs as expectations for a cup are there. I know this isn't typical keeping Carlson talk. Like this is very pie in the sky type stuff, but I, I honestly feel like that might be the, the biggest thing potentially working against Toronto in that series. That's very interesting. It could be. By, by the way, are you shorting uh, finance it? And that's why you're hoping that my coworkers are going to be distraught with a playoff series loss? Like, why are you cheering for my coworkers to be unhappy? It's, so it's just nice to see other hockey fans be miserable every uh, so often. Well, I mean, Boston fans will probably be unhappy if they get kicked out of but, the first round. But I don't see Boston fans around where I live. I see Toronto fans <laughs> who, are, okay. who are very loud and obnoxious when things are going well. I guess. As are, as are many fans. Yeah, I, I, Toronto, I love you. You're so great. 
I mean, it seemed like the New York Islanders fans uh, can get a little boisterous once in a while. So uh, anyway, I am I, hoping for the Leafs to win because I live here and I think it'll be a fun ride. But Boston is like a really good team. They're right now ahead of Toronto in the standings. And don't forget, they've had they've been dealing with some injuries, right? Like uh, Bergeron missed a lot of time a couple months ago. Pasternak's been out now and they just keep on winning. They've won 10 of their last 11 games. Tuka Rask has played in seven of those and Halak has played four. Both are doing fantastic. As far as his goalie situation, which we've been talking about all season long at this point both of them are just looking like really solid guys to have in your lineup whenever they play generally i'm not a fan of holding tandems in fantasy because i hate having to use two roster spots to just get one team's games but i feel like boston may be the exception just because i feel so comfortable right now rolling out either of these guys whenever they play might as well have them both if you can and you get like three wins in a lot of weeks which is which is pretty good and good numbers uh Especially, okay, like I said, Pasternak's been out of the lineup, so we've also been discussing lately like what's been going on in the top six. Around a week ago, news came out that Pasternak's still going to be a couple weeks away, so maybe he'll be only a week away now, maybe still a couple weeks. In the meantime, Danton Heinen has held that line one spot even after Marcus Johansson was acquired yesterday or last week when I was talking to Peter Harling. I suggested that maybe Marcus Johansson could take that spot. Maybe he still can at some point, but right now Danton Heinen is the guy there, and he's been solid. He has five assists in his last six games, but really the real standout since Pasternak left has been Jake DeBrusque with seven goals and six assists in his last nine games. DeBrusque is just on fire. Marcus Johansson, by the way, he had an assist in his Bruins debut, but nothing in his last couple of games. Not many shots. He's not on the top power play. I was into him last week after the trade. I thought this could be a really good opportunity for him. And I probably would have said I'd rather Johansson over Danton Heinen. But at this point, I think I'm going to go back to my half point per game expectation of Marcus Johansson or something around there. I'm curious to know if you concur. Seems like maybe he had a lot more value on New Jersey. Like once Taylor Hall was out and Marcus Johansson was the top line, top power play, like core guy, and he was producing, that was looking really good. Clearly, he doesn't have that spot in Boston. No, he doesn't. And that's pretty much why you shouldn't have a whole lot of interest in him. I kind of like for David Krejci that he's got another decent player to play with. But I don't know that Marcus Johansson is any more decent than the other guys. But David Krejci has steadily been producing. It's such a, I think he's still on just about a 60 point pace. Of course, part of that is because of his power play role. It's not all five on five, but at least Johansson's a steady guy to be there for David Krejci. The one thing that anybody thinking about Johansson needs to remember you know, thinking that I once had this upside and this potential is that Johansson moving to Boston means he's lost his top power play time, which he had a little bit of in New Jersey. Uh, It wasn't helping him much there, but that's historically been what's propelled Marcus Johansson to his best NHL points totals back in his Washington days. The guy used to put up 15, 20 power play points each year and still finish in the 45, 50 point range more often than not, say for one standout season. So, you know, Johansson is a cool, decent, responsible second line winger, but he's got like no hope of getting that top end power play time back. And as such, I am not interested in Marcus Johansson. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. For fantasy purposes, he may not be the best guy to own, but I'm sure the Boston Bruins are very happy to have him. And I think that's going to be another piece that helps them potentially get by the Leafs. I think I would lean Boston right now if I had to bet on one of the teams right now. Sorry to all the Leafs fans out there. But you know what? If you're a Leafs fan and you're thinking, man, I'd love to go see one of these playoff games, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Toronto versus Boston. And it might be tough to get a seat in Toronto. So why not go and uh, go see a game in Boston? And if you want to do that, you know where to buy your tickets. And that would be with our sponsor for this week's episode. Of course, that's our friends over at SeatGeek. So let's take a second to stop down and talk about SeatGeek. As you all know, getting tickets online can be so complicated. There's hundreds of sites 
Who knows about the reliability? It's hard to know who to trust, but you know you can trust SeatGeek. They're the way to go. They pull millions of tickets into one place. You can easily find the seats you want for the price you're willing to pay. And the nice thing is that you're going to have a guaranteed ticket. No funny business. Also, the price you see on the site is the price that you're going to pay. No hidden fees at the end. And like, oh, $100, that's pretty good. Wait, it's $150. No, SeatGeek is the way to go. Plus, I really like just using the app, browsing around, seeing what's going on. So if you do end up buying tickets to go see a Leafs game in Boston, you want to see what else is going on in Boston. I've actually been looking right now to see what's going on in Boston. Brian, some fun concerts coming to the people living in the fine city of Boston, Massachusetts. Brian, let's say I were to tell you that you had the option to either see Billy Joel or Jennifer Lopez, but only if you can guess which one is more expensive. Which do you think is the more expensive ticket on SeatGeek between Billy Joel and Jennifer Lopez, who are both going to Boston uh, this summer? I feel like Billy Joel in Boston is a really big draw. Like, I feel like in the southern U.S., it would be J-Lo with a higher ticket. But in New England, it's Billy Joel. Well, Brian, (laughs) you are wrong. That is incorrect. Uh. (laughs) Perhaps Billy Joel, since he's like from there. Is he even? Is he more of a New York? He's from New York, I think. Yes, I don't even know why you're saying that. I'm a Blues fan, I think. You're way off. Jennifer Lopez, but you can both get them for very reasonable prices, right? $147 for your cheapest ticket for Jennifer Lopez, $118 for Billy Joel, and lots of other things going on. So check in your city and see what fun tickets you can get on SeaGeek. And if you think the price is like pretty good, but you'd love it if it was $10 cheaper, well, guess what? It is! Wow, yes, it's true. All you need to do is download the the app and enter the promo code KEEPING before you check out to get $10 off your very first SeatGeek purchase. Again, that's promo code KEEPING. Try today to get $10 off your first purchase uh, of tickets from SeatGeek. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. By the way, for people in Boston... Patty is giving us a PSA here in the chat room. There's a snowstorm coming tomorrow and schools are going to be closed. So (laughs) be safe, people in Boston. Okay, Uh, let's go to the Metropolitan Division. Now, things are super tight. The Capitals just passed the Islanders today with their win and with the Islanders' loss. So Washington now has 83 points. The Islanders have 81. Carolina's in third with 78 points. Then you have Pittsburgh next and currently in a wild card spot with 77 points. Columbus with 75 that they're playing today. Huge game for the Blue Jackets today. And right now they're tied with the Jets. So maybe by the time we get to Columbus in a little bit, we'll even know more about the final result of that game. Then you have Philly barely hanging on uh, with another win today. They're up to 72 points. Maybe I shouldn't say barely hanging on, right? They still have a decent shot. They're like five points out of the wildcard spot. If I have that correct, it's kind of tough because I prepped the show yesterday. Then I just went today before the episode started to update some of these numbers because a whole bunch of games happened this afternoon. But you guys get the gist. I'm going to break down some of these teams now. So first on the Islanders, uh, people sure had a lot of opinions uh, about the Islanders fans giving it to John Tavares on Thursday, eh? Like, uh, I was on Twitter that night, and just everyone had an opinion about the fans booing Tavares. Brian, do you want to get into that? I'll give you the opportunity to get into that if you want, but I, I'd be fine to pass. Yeah, I'm going to pass. I don't like any trend. It's the same thing with the hurricane celebration thing. I don't like any anyone telling another fan or team, like, what is and isn't right. Or ethical. Like, this is not a... It, come on. People can do what they want. Okay, so you didn't pass. You gave an opinion. And that's oh, opinion. okay. Yeah, no, no. Actually, I, I'm taking it back. No comment. <laughs> okay. I, you know, like, I don't... I, I don't know if I'm going to sound so, too salty here, but I, I don't care in what people's opinions are on this. Fair. That's fair. Uh, as, but, as with the Carolina Hurricanes thing. 
Yeah, I saw a notification Spare that uh, Gary Gary Bettman said that it's okay. He's okay with the Carolina Hurricane <laughs> celebrations. Like, I don't care. I don't give a sh- like crap what Gary Bettman thinks about <laughs> Carolina celebrations. Okay. I'll see it. I'll decide if I like it or not myself, and that's it. Goodbye, yeah. everybody else. There was that uh, Sean Avery rant. He really gave it to the Islanders fans. And uh, hey, I can get why they're upset though. I mean, but I can also get why they shouldn't be upset. Uh, whatever, you're allowed to be upset. Also, they're paying money to go to the game, so I gave my opinion. Anyways, you know. Who I would like you to give an opinion of, I'm not going to let you pass on this, is Matt Barzal, because he's been a super boring fantasy own lately. He only has two assists in his last seven games, including a meager one shot and minus three performance today versus Philly, another game with no points. He only has four points in his last 12 games now. I'm talking about Matt Barzal here. Here's a guy who was drafted super high in drafts. He was a point per game guy last season. At this point... I don't know. Like, again, I said, we're heading into the fantasy playoffs. This is where we have to be brutal and make tough lineup decisions. And you can't just hold on to someone because they have upside. You need help this week or you're eliminated. So, Brian, would you be holding to Matt Barzal at this point? Do you think he'll bounce back and help out his owners in the fantasy playoffs? Or has he continued to be uh, an albatross on these teams? Barzell is going to be okay at all strengths over the last nine games. Matt Barzell has been on the ice for 98 shots on goal. And only six of those shots on goal have beaten the goalie. Two of them were on the power play too. So uh, even counting the power play together with the five on five and all strength uh, shooting percentage, his on ice shooting percentage at all strengths over the last nine games is 6%. That's just lethal for a guy like Barzell who doesn't take a whole lot of shots himself is not often the one scoring the goals. It's unfortunate he can't step up in this instance to do that while everybody else goes dry around him. But I imagine he's going to be fine. He's going to bounce back. Uh, His on-ice shooting percentage, it's not the most likely scenario for it to stay at 6% the rest of the way. Of course, anything can happen over a three-week stretch. But if everything regresses to the mean, it won't. Okay, so that's good to know. So, Brian, you, obviously, like you said, we can't predict the future 100%, but you're saying everything under the hood looks good for Matt Barzell. It's been some bad luck that it's caused him to not get points, and you would be happy to have him on your fantasy team. So, hey, that all that means is if someone drops him, which I don't know if that's going to happen. I, I haven't seen that in any of my leagues, but I could just see looking at the numbers that I could imagine people starting to drop him soon if he like goes maybe one more game without getting a point. Brian's saying, go and jump on him because he has just as good a chance to bounce back as like anyone else would. What I kind of was going to bring up, though, is I wonder if Matt Barzell is even the guy you want the most on the Islanders right now. And I can't believe I'm going to say this, but the hottest huh? Islander is Josh Bailey. <laughs> and I what? hate it. I know I dropped him and I was like defending it forever. And at this point, maybe I'd be happy to have Josh Bailey on my team. His assist today brought him to 11 points in his last 12 games. Games. He's now only three points behind Barzal on the season. They're back on a line together at even strength. Uh, Barzal was actually centering a third line with like Leo Komarov or something for a couple games ago. Maybe that was just to teach him a lesson. Who even knows? But yeah, it's back to that Bailey and Barzal. And, and who's the third, actually? I don't remember because I think it's Bovillier. I think they're just back to their regular thing. I'm not sure why I yeah. didn't write that down. Uh, Bailey has not been on the top power play, but I, it's almost like it doesn't matter. Barzil hasn't gotten a power play point in his last 12 games. So it's almost like who even cares what happens on the Islanders power play. Overall, Josh Bailey is the one getting the most points, but it sounds like you're saying you would still rather have Barzal. I would definitely rather have Barzell. And Elon, that was, you, you didn't even count the goal that Josh Bailey scored on his own empty net the other night. Did you see that? I did not, Brian, but uh, it happens. No big deal, right? It, it doesn't happen often when your goalie is pulled and you score in your own net from like beyond the red line. Uh, but that's what happened to Josh Bailey. One thing I don't like about Josh Bailey is that he has seven shots in his last nine games. I can barely stay awake while saying that. That's so boring. And that's why I prefer, well, 
one of many reasons I prefer Matt Barzell, who's not a big shooter, but at least he gives you one or two a night to fill the category a little bit if the points don't come. Uh, And while we're talking about the Islanders, no one's really setting the world on fire, but Brock Nelson continues to be pretty strong. He's up to seven points in those last eight games, nothing in his last two, but he has seven shots in those last two games. So, so things are sort of working out for him. Uh, Just, not the last two games, but he's a good guy to stream in that might somehow be available in some leagues. Yeah, the Islanders are another team. Like I said, Tampa's kind of interesting because they don't have as many fantasy relevant or like sure fantasy owns as you'd expect for a team that scores so many goals. The Islanders are a team super high in the standings and they don't really have anyone. Like there's Matt Barzal, who you say is going to be fine. But like aside from him, there's no one really jumping off the page. Like Andres Lee has really slowed down lately. You know, uh, Josh Bailey's hot right now, but was cold before. You're talking Brock Nelson. You know, this team, I guess they're really just like doing it by committee. Like on defense also, like you have Nick Letty, quarterback in the top power play and doing nothing in terms of offense and then we've talked about Devin Taves and Ryan Pulak and like you know all these players who Boychuk they contribute every once in a while it's enough to help them win a lot of games they're obviously their goaltending has been really good but yeah no one really jumping off the page Uh, of course the opposite is the case with the Washington Capitals who have a few great players that jump off the page and then you look at their bottom six and you're like oh who are are these guys but uh yeah they're now top in the division and I feel like we haven't given enough credit to Jacob Verana maybe we haven't talked about him much this season he's been playing on the second line most of the year with Backstrom and Oshi and he had a three-game point streak going into today which ended actually with his zero points and two shots versus the Rangers but still Verana has four goals and seven assists in his last 14 games played if he can keep up that pace going forward that'd be a really great guy to grab for your fantasy playoffs hey next week Washington plays Wednesday Friday Sunday so he could be a really sneaky ad it's one of those weeks where Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday are the busy days and you're going to probably be benching players on that day so if you could drop someone who's going to be on your bench anyway and grab Verana who you might be able to get three games out of that might be a move you want to take a look at do you think that Verana can keep up this somewhat uh reliable pace that he's been putting up over the last little while well, I'm going to actually extend the little while window you provide. I'm going to go all the way back to January 8th for Jacob Vrana. Since then, he's played 25 games. He's got 19 points in those 25 games, seven goals, 12 assists, 50 shots on goal. And Vrana finds himself in this real nice spot in the lineup where he seems set in the top six, which means he's going to be centered by either Nick Backstrom or Evgeny Kuznetsov on any given night. I actually just added him myself and used a chunk of my dwindling fab dollars to do it, but I just couldn't resist because Vrana stood out amongst the rest of the free agent class as someone who has been consistently pointing for two months now is virtually guaranteed a high-end center. So if he looks that same way when compared up against your free agent pile, then you should definitely also consider adding Jacob Vrana to your lineup. Like he's not a sure thing night in night out, but I would rather try committing to him than stream in any other free agent that's available to me, hoping that lightning strikes on the night I stream them in, especially if you, if you, if the, if this is not enough of a reason yet to add Jacob Vrana, Elon, the Wednesday, Friday, Sunday schedule that he has this week is good reason to give him a spin this week. See what he can do. Yeah, and by the way, speaking of schedules, next week starts with only two teams playing Monday, Wednesday, and it's a super busy Tuesday, so if you could get a Toronto or a Calgary guy, that could also give you an extra game. Let's say if you have someone on your bench on Tuesday, you could drop that person for a Toronto or Calgary player and get two extra games, Uh, so do with that what you will. Maybe like someone like Marlowe is available in free agency, and you know he's also obviously not a guaranteed guy to get a point, but you'd think he maybe could get one point in two Leafs games. Uh, but anyways, okay, so we're going through the Metropolitan Division. Third place is Carolina. 
And hey, Brian, it happens every year. I think Jordan Stahl goes on a super hot run. And then I bring him up to you on an episode of Keeping Carlson. And you say, it's not going to last. Well, hey, it's happening again. Jordan Stahl, ever since he came back from his concussion, he's pointed in all four games that he's played. He's playing on the second line with Tara Vinen and Michael Furland, who's I know someone you wanted to bring up, as someone you think benefited from the trade deadline after it was all said and done. Yeah, it's a nice looking second line. Toivo Tara Vinen seems like a superstar. And Jordan Stahl and Furland perhaps are both benefiting I want to ask you about Jordan Stahl, though. He's probably available in a lot of people's leagues, especially since he was injured for so long. Is this just like before? Like, are you going to say that it won't last? Jordan Stahl always gets hot and then always cools off? Or maybe is there anything different this time? Like, Carolina seems like a lot better team this year than probably ever before since we started doing this podcast. Tavo Teravainen has got to be one of the best wingers that Jordan Stahl has been playing with ever since his time on Pittsburgh. So I could think of a couple of reasons to convince myself that Jordan Stahl might be better than he has been in the past when he went on these good runs. But obviously, you'll just look under the hood and tell us, has he been doing unsustainable stuff? Or are you seeing something new out of Jordan Stahl? I'm not seeing anything new out of Jordan Stahl. What we are seeing that's new out of Carolina is that compared to earlier this year and other years, they're actually getting goaltending, which really is kind of surprising given that it's McElhaney and Peter Morazic giving it to them. But who cares? They're getting it and they're able to win games because they can afford to make a couple defensive miscues each game that aren't just going to automatically end up in the back of their net. Elon, you did say something that I have a, an issue with. Though. You said Jordan Stahl, uh, Teravainen is his best line mate since his Pittsburgh days. Um, Teravainen could be great to be playing with, but uh, just last year, you don't have to go back very far, Stahl played the majority of his minutes with both Sebastian Ajo and Teravainen. Then the year before, um, Stahl played with Ajo and superstar Elias Lindholm. A couple years before that, Stahl was playing with his brother Eric. A couple years before that, he's playing with Jeff Skinner. So he has had plenty of talent playing with him on the ice. So let's not get too excited that this is an opportunity that Saul has rarely or never had before. Also, even if it were, even if it's like uh, he's never had a winger like Teravainen, who is Tyvo Teravainen, right? We've seen Teravainen be a very good player with Sebastian Ajo. We haven't really seen him do the same thing without Sebastian Ajo. Ajo's on-ice numbers are actually better without Teravainen than with him this season. And Teravainen's are definitely worse without Ajo than with him. So keep this in mind if you're going to get super excited about Stoller even thinking about how to value Teravainen playing away from Sebastian Ajo. Of course, it's a downgrade. But I don't even know that we should be considering Teravainen an automatic guy who can sustain and drive offense. I did want to talk about Michael Furline just, just for a second to say I think he... Wait, wait one sec. I okay. have so much to respond to here. Okay. Then, okay. First of all, Teravainen has nine points in his last five games not <laughs> playing with Sebastian Ajo. So you're saying you're not seeing uh, production outside of Ajo? Like, I'm seeing someone who is streaking like never before. And he's I am now seeing... About, yeah, so what, respond. <laughs> Please respond. I am seeing a guy who sees uh, a lot fewer shot attempts per 60 minutes going towards the other team's net when he's not playing with Aho compared to with him. Uh, like, yes, he still gets Aho, by the way, on the power play. So that's worth pointing out. Um, but yeah, five points in his last three, sorry, six points in his last three games. Great against Los Angeles. Uh, that seems a little easy. Uh, not to take away from him. I, sorry. Your point is well taken, Elon. I'm not saying that Teravainen absolutely isn't good without Sebastian Ajo. I'm just saying it's not a slam dunk. I'm not totally convinced that this guy is a true offensive force, that he's uh, 
I don't know. I, I just feel like a lot of people have elevated him to a similar level as Aho without necessarily considering how much work Aho might be doing to help Teravine in along and that their on ice numbers show uh, that Aho is doing uh, some of the heavy lifting between the two. But it's not to say Teravinen can't still succeed offensively without Aho. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And I, I am taking a look. So Teravinen, like I said, is nine points in his last five games. You brought up four of those points came in one game versus LA. It was obviously a bad game for Jonathan Quick and the Kings. And yeah, and Teravinen... three of those points were also on the power play when he was playing with Aho. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, also, yeah, like Teravinen is only taking one or two shots every single game. So it's not as if... And he had higher shot numbers back uh, earlier in the season. So, okay, point taken, Brian. Sometimes, again, that's kind of what a fantasy hockey robot does. You're not just looking at the raw numbers. You're trying to look at the story behind them and try to determine if it's sustainable. When I was saying that Teravinen is like maybe one of the best line mates uh, Justin Williams... Not Justin Williams. Who talking, Jordan Stahl has ever played with. I was kind of thinking like, yeah, I know Stahl played with like Aho last year, but last year Aho wasn't like superstar Sebastian Aho like he is this year. And you, know, you bring up Jeff Skinner, like, you know, I, I is that the yeah. year that Jeff Skinner scored 40 plus goals on Carolina? Like, I feel like it just seems like it's been a while since he's played with someone who's like a point per game guy like Tara Vine, it seems to be. But yeah, your points are taken. Let's talk about, so you're saying that Jordan Stahl is going to cool off, but obviously people should probably still consider adding him if you have an availability and he looks like one of your top free agents. He's also going to help you with hits and he's on a run right now. So don't like not add Jordan Stahl. Just Brian is saying, don't expect it to stay going forever like Jordan Stahl has gone on runs of like 15 games in a row of getting points or close to a point in every single game so he could definitely do that again yeah exactly and Teravainen is good to be playing with so is Michael Furland who is seeing above 14 minutes for the first time in a little while since the trade deadline passed and that's a good thing before the trade deadline we didn't know how committed Carolina was to him and whether he was on the move but I almost feel like they acquired him on deadline day they're like oh yeah uh furland's actually the guy that we're happy to go forward with given our available options and uh so i'm i'm hoping that that's going to give a small boost to his fantasy value we'll see like he was in the like 10 to 12 minute range for a little while so i'd love to see him stay up above 14 maybe even 15 minutes for a few games now that he is probably going to stay on the second line the rest of the way yeah, seems like it. Like, there's always the chance that Svechnikov gets into the top six at some point. But you'd think things seem to be going well right now with Furland in that spot, playing with Stahl and Teravine. And then, of course, Aho with Neil Niederreiter and Justin Williams. Justin Williams actually no points in his last two games. So if he was dropped in any leagues, he was dropped in one of my leagues by me <laughs> a couple days ago. Because <laughs> uh, I wanted to add Patrick Hornquist, who was back on the Crosby line. But now Hornquist is off the Crosby line, and I've swapped back. For Brian, for our joint league, actually, where our playoffs start next week. Let's go with the guy playing on the top line and not the guy in the bottom six. Uh, Okay, so let's go to Columbus now. I may have overreacted a bit last week. Like, we talked about all the Columbus acquisitions. And then I was saying to Peter Harling that, like, I think Pierre-Luc Dubois is in a lot of trouble. Because if he gets bumped from... He was, like, not only bumped from playing with Panarin, but he wasn't playing with Duchesne or Dezingle either. Like, he was on... Or I think he was playing with like, the Zingle and Bjorkstrand. Like, it just wasn't looking like as good a spot for Pierre-Luc Dubois to land on, being bumped by Matt Duchesne. Uh, but since then, Columbus has been shaking their lines up around quite a bit. So maybe Pierre-Luc Dubois will end up centric Panarin and Duchesne will play with the Zingle as they had that great chemistry together in Ottawa earlier this season. But like right now, uh, things aren't looking that great for Columbus, right? They had this embarrassing loss to the Oilers yesterday. And like I said, they're currently not in a playoff spot. How bad would that be if they not only didn't sell off Panarin and Bobrovsky, but also even paid prospects? 
prospects and draft picks to get Duchesne and Dezingle and then to not make the playoffs. That would just be the worst thing that could ever happen. So you'd have to imagine they're going to do everything they can to try to win games. Uh, but yeah, they lost yesterday. They're playing today against Winnipeg. And at this point, 2-2 in the third. And yeah, the Blue Jackets have a lot to play for today for sure. Uh, as far as all these assets, like Brian, there's so many players, like so many moving parts. Like, I could look at actually the line combinations on Columbus, like right now in the game they're playing today. Thanks to Dabra's Frozen Tools. I see they've been going with Dubois, Atkinson, and Panarin, and then Dezingle, Josh Anderson, and Alex Wemberg, and then Felino, Duchesne, Bjorkstrand. This is a whole new set of oh. lines that we haven't oh seen my before. God. I prepared for this show with not those lines. Those were not the lines. Like you said, those are brand new. What am I supposed to do with that? Well, you could just say for sure uh, at the top that Pierre-Luc Dubois is playing with Panarin. So, you know, don't go ahead and completely give up on Dubois. Also, it's not like he's been doing nothing lately. I believe Pierre-Luc Dubois has been getting points. Now I'm like jumping all over my different tabs. I don't have my notes in front of me. But uh, but Dubois has been bumped off the top power play. But he, was, I believe, wasn't even there for a bit before. But it's looking like today, the top power play has been Atkinson, Duchesne, Panarin, Nick Foligno, and Zach Wierenski. So Nick Foligno somehow stays there. And I believe Nick Foligno has a, yes, he has a power play goal today, assisted by Panarin and Atkinson. So, hey, they like him there. <laughs> you know, he's a tough guy. Whatever. I'm assuming net front presence, you know, the Hornquist spot. So, uh, it's, yeah, might be tougher for Pierre Dubois to bump him. It is inex- inexcusable for Nick Foligno to have four power play points on the season. I don't even, even know if that counts the 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 one he just scored. I'm looking at his frozen pool pro- profile on Dabrahagi, which generally updates quickly. Um, but my goodness, Nick Foligno has spent the majority like he has gotten the majority of his team share of power play minutes on that top unit. He's been there all season long with some small uh, stretches off of it and never done anything with it. So I don't know why they're trying to fit that square peg into a round hole, but tonight, tonight it finally paid off. I guess another takeaway Elon from the Columbus lines is that Oliver Bjorkstrand is staying paired with Matt Duchesne. And one thing that I liked about trade deadline day for Oliver Bjorkstrand well, is that he has a center to play with now. He has Matt Duchesne. He's not stuck with Alexander Wenberg or whoever's next after Panarin on the top line. So it's really great for Bjorkstrand that he has someone he can consistently produce with. Before the season started, we were like, ah, maybe this could be a year where Wenberg and Bjorkstrand take a step forward together. And Wenberg has just taken a huge step back unfortunately, but Bjorkstrand has been on a nice little roll himself. Um, his numbers are, uh, he's up to 10 points before tonight. He had 10 points in his last 15 games, six goals, four assists, 34 shots. Um, all of those points coming at even strength. So it's really lovely uh, that that Oliver Bjorkstrand gets a gets a lift, sort of in the Verona way. That, I said Verona is a great guy to have because you know he's playing with Backstrom or Kuznetsov. Bjorkstrand, you could say the same thing now that Duchesne is in Columbus. Of course, this is until Bjorkstrand does something to draw Tortorella's ire and is banished to the fourth line with Brandon Dubinsky. Right. Well, for now, you know, that's the situation. Columbus plays Tuesday, Wednesday, or Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, next week, the typical boring schedule. So I'd probably take Verona next week, but that might be an interesting comparison, depending on what you need in your lineup, Bjorkstrand versus Verona, both playing with good players like Verona playing with Nicholas Backstrom 
probably better than playing with Matt Duchesne. Very few uh, centers who are better, but he's he's probably one of them. Uh, a lot of people in the chat room here are talking about why is, speaking of this Columbus power play, why is Zach Wierenski there and not Seth Jones? Isn't Seth Jones supposed to be the better player? Uh, and it's not like Seth Jones is having a terrible season. Like he's actually up to, he had an assist today. I'm seeing 39 points in 58 games. That's a 55 point pace. Last year, he had a 60 point pace and he had 24 power play points last year. And Jones only has nine power play points this year. So imagine how, like he's doing so well at even strength. Imagine if he was on that top power play, he could be on like a 65 point pace this year. He could be setting career highs, but now it's looking like he's not going to be able to match his numbers from last year. So Tortorella, come on, man. Do do the right thing. Get Felino out of there. Get Wierenski out of there. Put our superstars. Jones. Yeah, I guess so. I, I'm okay with Wierenski there, but I also, I hear you on the Seth Jones friend. I think both guys can probably do a reasonably equal job quarterbacking the unit. Yeah, well, I don't care because I have Seth Jones in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Pager Fantasy League, so I'd rather just let let him do it because I think <laughs> if they could do equal, why not help me out? Is that too much to ask for? Was, that sounds reasonable. I think so. So anyways, that's it for our Columbus talk. We'll have to keep checking in on how these lines are looking. Like, obviously, like I said, they need to win every game. They're going to, you know, maybe shake things around a lot until they find something that clicks. And I'll, maybe we'll check in before the end of this episode. Oh, actually, Winnipeg just scored. Oh, no. Columbus, that, that'll be like, I don't know if I don't want it to happen because I'd be sad for them or it would just be kind of funny if they didn't make the playoffs after doing all of this. So I'm not sure what I'm cheering for right now. I don't want to be, I know you're Brian, the type of guy who's cheering for them to not make the playoffs. Just like you want the Leafs fans to be sad. You probably want Columbus to be embarrassed. No, I'm actually cheering for them not to make the playoffs because there's some picks that could really help out Ottawa wow. if they finish lower. Ryan, let me help you improve your life here. G- give up. Like, forget about it. What are you What are you still concerned about what picks the Sens are going to get? This team is yeah, They're going to blow it anyway, right? Just cheer for someone else. I got a Sharks hand, hat on right now. I, I, so I don't presently cheer. I'm I'm cheering for future Ottawa. Like, <laughs> post-Melnick Ottawa, assuming that exists. Right. You know that Ottawa apparently has, like, the worst weather in winter of all this, like, big cities in Canada? Like, you really live in the in not the most optimal it, place. I feel like you should just... It's Pick up and go. Cold, it's the second coldest capital in the world. What are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Anyway, okay. Let's go to <laughs> the Pittsburgh Penguins. They had a huge win over Montreal yesterday. And now they're tied with the Habs and one point behind Carolina for third in the division. And tied with the Habs, I mean, for a wild card spot. So Pittsburgh, definitely still in the mix. Obviously, they would have preferred to be more securely in a playoff spot right now. But at least, hey, they're in a spot and they seem to be on a decent roll. The big surprise of the game yesterday was that Patrick Hornfist was bumped back off the Crosby Gensel line in favor of Jared McCann, who got a shot on line one. Even though Hornfist, he had been on a roll. He had points in three straight games. But hey, they decided, no, Hornfist, you're gone. All the people on Twitter who I said, yeah, I'd probably grab Hornfist when they were asking me Hornfist versus this person versus this person. I, I was saying Hornfist all week just for him to get bumped. I said, but I think most of the time I answered, I'll take Hornfist as long as he's with Crosby. And as soon as he's not, I don't want him. Of course, Hornquist didn't get in on any of Pittsburgh's five goals yesterday. So I think it's probably time to call him a snoozer again until he gets back to the top line. You can let me know if you disagree. I really thought that with Brian Rust injured, that spot would now be open to Patrick Hornquist. I wasn't expecting this side Jared McCann surprise to come in and bump him. But hey, them's the breaks. Oh, we fall for it every time with Patrick Hornquist. And he has four more years on his current contract at $5.3 million. And I don't say that to say, oh my God, what garbage value. I say that because I literally cannot handle another day of Hornquist in a Pittsburgh uniform. It's just one of the most confounding player situations going at the moment. I have no idea what is going on between Hornquist and Pittsburgh that the team won't or he won't. Like someone is choosing not to right? D- between 
just to try and get any sort of production or usefulness out of Horn because it just doesn't make sense. And through it all, I've actually lost all concept of just what Hornquist would even be capable of if he found himself in an optimal situation. A 60-point player? 50 points? Somewhere in between? I have no idea. He's currently on a 46-point pace that looks remarkably sustainable, and not much looks so different from numbers that have generally led him to the 55-point neighborhood in the past. What's hurting him this year has been his inconsistent deployment, his shuttles back and forth between the top six and the bottom six from somewhere to nowhere. He also, by the way, has had some rotten power play luck. He's only gotten a point on one of every four power play goals scored while he's on the ice. So that's a 25% IPP on the power play. That's uh, too low. Um, That's why he's on pace for just 11 power play points when Hornquist is paced for between 15 or even 25 power play points in past years. Uh, all this to say, Hornqvist, right? What do we do with this guy anymore? He's up there with Palat as a really frustrating own. Uh, for me personally this year, I've owned them both in several leagues for several stretches, and they've rarely panned out. I just wonder, like, here's my, I don't know, hot take, lukewarm take. Patrick Hornqvist is going to be one of the most attractive post-fantasy draft free agents in a lot of leagues next year. I'm essentially saying he's going to go undrafted. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll probably have to look at preseason lines to see if he'll be playing with Crosby. Like, it's a great question you asked. Like, what would we expect from him if he was? It seems like he gets points most nights when he's playing on the Crosby Gensel line. But yeah, I, like, I was happy to have him on my team going to my fantasy playoffs. Then he gets bumped. Of course, Hornquist lost. Jared McCann's game. He picked up a goal and an assist yesterday. Meanwhile, Zach Aston Reese had been hot on his line with Malkin and Kessel. He's now gone pointless in two games in a row, but there's been a lot of chatter about ZAR. Uh, if someone wants to stream in a Penguin for their four games, next week and like Hornfist, McCann and ZAR are all available who would you take and like forget about Hornfist at this point because like whatever because you might say something boring like oh well maybe there's a chance he gets back okay so fine would you want McCann on the Crosby line or Zach Aston Reese on the Malcolm line but I don't see what ZAR like that doesn't even save you a syllable why well, that's because I I guess I'm saying ZAR oh, wait, it does. <laughs> I'm saying ZAR more because uh, I see that's how his name is written often on Twitter. So, I, you know, I want to know what when people see ZAR, they'll know who we're talking about. Okay, Zach Aston Reese is, uh, I guess, the one you want if your league counts hits. Otherwise, I think I would lean Jared McCann. It, it feels like it's pretty tight between them, but I will take the guy playing with Crosby over the guy playing with Malkin. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so keep it in mind. If, if you're in a deep league and you want to stream someone for next week, like I said, Pittsburgh, four games. Of course, before you stream in the player, check to see your lineups for those days because they are on the busy days, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay. Uh, Brian, you also mentioned that you want to talk about Jake Gensel in this episode. And yeah, that's a good guy that we should probably touch down on. He had two goals and two assists yesterday. That brings him to 31 goals and 60 points on the season in 65 games. That paces him for a 40-goal season and a 75-point season. So fantastic. And the crazy thing is he's been doing all of this without seeing time on the top power play when everyone was healthy like he gets there every once in a while when like Malkin got suspended or when Hornfist is injured but generally Gensel is a power play two guy and he's still on pace for 75 points so it almost makes me think like the sky's the limit like in for keeper leagues or for next year he could do even better if he's going to stick on the even strength line with Crosby and also potentially get on the power play at some point so Brian do you agree like are Gensel's numbers looking sustainable to you for what he's been doing this year or do you see any red flags that make it seem like he's not gonna be able to keep this up or do better in the future I don't know how we haven't talked about Jake Gensel more. Two goals Saturday night forces us to do it. That puts him into a a tie for 15th in goal scoring in the NHL, tied with someone named Nikita Kucherov 
And also David Pasternak, although, of course, Pasternak has played uh, almost 10 fewer games. But Gensel has one more goal than Johnny Gaudreau. And maybe this is even more impressive than a tied for 15th in all goal scoring. Gensel is second in the NHL in five-on-five scoring. Uh, The only guy ahead of him, John Tavares, who has 27 uh, five-on-five goals. Gensel has 26. And Ovi... Alex Ovechkin, 25. So way to go, Jake Gensel. And I just feel like this had happened without us really taking appropriate notice. Gensel, of course, has given his fantasy owners their fair share of frustrations over the years too, especially after last year's tepid 48-point full season campaign as a sophomore. And that 48-point season happened in large part because his shooting percentage was halved and We weren't sure going into this year uh, whether we should be trusting that year, his sophomore 12% shooting percentage sample or his 20% shooting percentage uh, from being a rookie. This year, Gensel has bounced back up to 18% in his shooting percentage, which still feels high. There aren't many NHLers who can keep an 18% shooting percentage success rate while putting two and a half shots on goal per game as Gensel has this year. But another thing working in Gensel's favor is he's seeing 19 minutes of ice, which is two and a half minutes more than he did last year on average. So that's helping a chunk too. We also uh, can't talk about Gensel's success without just acknowledging uh, that Sidney Crosby is of course a part of this. Like we don't know what happens if Gensel plays with uh, even a slightly above average center and he gets to play with Sidney Crosby, which helps him. But the fact that he's done so well with Crosby this year makes me feel like he's really established himself on the top line for next year too, when Crosby's still going to be great. And uh, assuming he can even like, even if his shooting percentage regresses a little bit to 15%, if he's still getting 19 minutes a night, uh, Jake Gensel could be a really sneaky value pick at next year's fantasy drafts. While last year's failure still reverberates in a lot of people's minds who still just aren't sure which Jake Gensel they can trust. Yeah, and so you're saying you think they could trust this year's Jake Gensel. And yeah, if you say he's seeing 19 minutes of ice, that's 19 minutes with Sidney Crosby. The best kinds of 19 minutes you can get. So yeah, he's been amazing. Glad to hear that you're not seeing anything especially unsustainable what he's doing. And hey, I'm also holding out hope for a top power play spot in the near future. Speaking of 30-goal scorers, Brendan Gallagher on the Habs is almost there. His goal yesterday was his third in as many games as brought him to 29 goals on the year. His career high is 31 goals, which he hit last year. So Gallagher will likely beat that by a comfortable margin, maybe next week. So, Brian, I don't really have a question to ask you about Gallagher. I, he's like a super reliable fantasy option, especially in leagues that count shots and hits. He's been shooting a ton lately. So I'm just throwing it out there. Brendan Gallagher having another great season. There are a couple of guys on the halves I do want to get your take on. First is Paul Byron. He had a seven-game point streak ended yesterday. He's playing on the third line with Kotkaniemi and Joel Armia, but seeing power play time with Shaw, Druin, and Domi, which I think is generally considered to be the top power play. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where I have a feeling I know what your answer is going to be, but if a guy's on a seven-game point streak, we got to bring him up on keeping Carlson's right. Do you think that Paul Byron is someone people should be rushing to add, or do you think now that the point streak is over, he's probably going to go back to being, I don't even know what you can expect from someone, but a third-line guy on the halves, you can't expect too much. So Byron has had a pretty good season. Yeah, he has had a good season. We've talked about him when he is in a good spot in the lineup that he is worth a stream. Uh, but in this spot on the third line with Kotkaniemi and Lekkonen, uh, or no, Armia. Armia, sorry. Yeah, not really worth a stream. Either way, not worth a stream. Uh, that line had a good little run, but it's not a place from which Byron can consistently produce. So I am, uh, I'm not rushing to add him, even though Montreal does have an okay schedule coming up this week. 
Yeah, so, I mean, you could do worse. I'd rather have an Andrew Shaw who's playing with, I think, Druin and Domi or, like, someone playing with Gallagher, I would think. Uh, you could tweet at us at Keeping Carlson with your question. Like, By- Byron's not a nobody, but yeah, it's hard to imagine he's going to get another seven-game point streak going. Who knows, in a couple of years, we're going to be saying playing with Kakaniemi is, like, a huge thing, and anyone playing with him, you definitely want to add, but I guess we're just not there yet. On the other side, Brian, where did Jeff Petrie go? He had a good game versus the Leafs a couple weeks ago where he had a goal and an assist. But aside from that, he only has one assist in his other previous nine games. And much like Shabbat, Petrie's early season crazy point pace has been coming down to earth. He's now down to a 51 point pace on the season and falling. Is this just a slump for Jeff Petrie? Can his owners expect at least a 50 point guy moving forward? Or maybe is it time to consider the possibility that pre Weber injury, Jeff Petrie is back. And that was closer to like a sub 40 point guy. You know, he wasn't someone that you really wanted to have in your fantasy lineup all the time. Like he had such a great run at the end of last season when Weber got hurt. He was great at the start of this year when Weber was hurt and he was even still doing well when Weber came back. So I was like, okay, maybe there's something different about Jeff Petrie. But at this point, and Brian, I think he might've called this at this point, Petrie is definitely slowing down in a big way. I'm actually not going to start patting myself on. Like, I don't know that I called this even. It's been really refreshing how Jeff Petrie has stepped up into a role that we long thought he could, but needed enough time to convince, I guess, his coaching staff that he can handle it. But I'm glad you brought up Shea Weber, Elon, because you know who's been just about as cold as Jeff Petrie is Shea Weber himself. He has just two points in his last 10 games. In fact, since Valentine's Day, it's somehow been Jordy Ben leading the offensive charge on the Montreal Blue Line. Jordy Ben has five points in his last 10 games. Otherwise, uh, the Montreal defense just has not been very involved offensively, despite the Habs still scoring their fair share of goals over this stretch. Um, One thing I do get concerned about when I look at Petrie's numbers is that Petrie has just 12 shots over his last 10 games. Weber, I don't have that same concern, 23 shots in the same stretch. Um, I don't know the reason why Petrie has decided to stop shooting the way he was for much of the season. Uh, It's certainly something to keep an eye on, especially if you're a Petrie owner. Um, Montreal only plays three times in each of the next two weeks. So if you do own him and you need an emergency stream and you've just considered him untouchable, you haven't considered ever dropping him, uh, he's got to be a candidate to get the boot uh, if you really need to get somebody into your lineup to add a game play. Uh, That's only if we don't start seeing shots and points from him before long. I'm still hoping he can bounce back. Yeah, it's it's nice to hope he can bounce back, but it also we do have to remember who was this guy just a couple years ago, right? Like it's it's very new that Jeff Petrie was a guy who seemed like a must own in all fantasy leagues. So you know you can't just all of a sudden assume he's now this new Jeff Petrie forever. Like there is that chance that he was good while Weber was out, and now maybe we're back to what we saw before. He's not like a rookie here, you know. He's been in the league a long time. Uh, yeah, okay, but I, I think he's never quite been given this much opportunity before. Of course, of course, yeah. Uh, by the way, good thing for Jamie Ben getting that hatchet yesterday otherwise i'd have to start asking you who's the better ben to own between jamie and jordy but i guess jamie's at least reclaimed it for now uh like i said philly is still in the race i guess barely uh but they did win today and i think they're worth talking about as like okay, so the, the interesting thing with philly is carter hart is injured right and eventually he should come back 
And Peter Harling brought up that if Philly's like out of the race, then maybe at that point, why should they even bring Carter Hart back, send him to the minors, let him play in the AHL playoffs and see how he does. And like, especially now, like even if Philly's still in the race, I wonder if that's a better thing for them to do just because, or at least they don't need to rush Carter Hart back because Brian Elliott has been fantastic since coming back from injury. He stopped 29 of 30 shots today in the 4-1 win over the Islanders. He now has had six solid games as returning from injury. Like one of them was a 900 save percentage games where I think he stopped like 36 of 40 shots and all the rest have been like above 930. Like Brian Elliott has just been unbeatable. Uh, so now with like Carter Hart still out and our fantasy playoffs looming, is Brian Elliott now like a guy you definitely need to add if he's available in free agency? I guess the one concern, aside from him being Brian Elliott, <laughs> is that uh, Cam Talbot is there as the backup and he did have a good game in his first game as a flyer. He got the 6-3 win. But it seems to me like Brian Elliott's going to get the majority of the start. So what's your take right now on the value of Brian Elliott and how urgent it is for people to grab him? It's urgent. Go get him. No one who had him should have left, like, unless they didn't have enough IR spots. Everybody should have just been waiting for this moment because Philadelphia, I mean, is now a fairly competent team and all they need is a reasonably reliable goalie. And I think they're, they have a pretty decent chance to win night in, night out, especially when Brian Elliott has a 931 save percentage through five games since returning from injury. And uh, remember going into injury, he was also really good. He had, uh, if I'm counting right, seven straight games with a 917 save percentage or better before getting injured. So this has been, uh, like, I know Brian Elliott has unreliability attached to his name. I know he hasn't been the guy you can count on the most in the past. I know he's another year older. I know he's got injuries under his belt. And I'm not saying he's going to be infallible the rest of the way, but he is absolutely worth owning. Get him. Yeah, but Brian, I mean, don't throw shade at the people who did, like the reason also just for the people who didn't have room for him in their IR or whatever. Another reason why Brian Elliott wasn't seeming so appealing was that Carter Hart was absolutely crushing it and there didn't seem to be any reason for, and then Philly traded for Cam Talbot. So it really did seem like there wasn't any room for Brian Elliott on Philly. Like everything changed with Carter Hart being injured. So I can understand why people weren't rushing to grab him, you know, back when he was first coming back from injury. A lot has changed, though, since Elliot was injured, right? Like, how many, I think, have the Flyers now had eight yeah. players play goalie for them this year? So, remember when uh, Elliot was injured, they had, they still, the Flyers, I'm pretty sure, acquired Calvin Pickard. Uh, they still had Anthony Stollers. Michael Neuverth had a brief, a brief spate of health. Alex Lyon was also in the picture. Um, so, Carter Hart wasn't even, like, I, f- I feel like the, the two never have really competed head to head for no, time. They've never been healthy and with the team at the same time. So it'll be interesting to see when Hart is healthy, if they want Hart and Elliot both there, or if they're like, Hey Hart, you can uh, just apply your trade in the AHL because Cam Talbot is going to be our NHL backup. Uh, but I think that's all Cam Talbot is too. I don't think he's going to threaten for the starting job unless Brian Elliott proves very unreliable. Right. And in that case, maybe they would bring Carter Hart back up. So we'll have to watch and see. For now, it might be possible we never see Carter Hart and Brian Elliott compete for starts because maybe Hart doesn't come back in time. And maybe uh, then Elliott goes somewhere else in the offseason because he's an unrestricted free agent. Uh, Since we're on Philly, you messaged me on Thursday. Sorry about this, Brian, but you you messaged me. You said, can you include Ghost to spare on the next episode? He's up and running again. And so I wrote him down on my little notes sheet. I didn't go and like verify what you said. I just wrote him down because when you asked me to, and then I said, when I prep on Saturday night, I'll uh, go and check out what ghost is doing and bring him up on the show not sure his fantasy owners would agree with you that he's up and running he's pointless in four has only one assist in his last eight games including nothing today 
low ice time. Are you seeing something that I'm not? And actually, before you answer that, I will take this opportunity since we're on Philly defense to uh, brag a little bit that I totally killed it with my Travis Sanheim call from a couple weeks ago. I said that, uh, you know, he looked like he was on a decent run. I liked that he was on the top pairing with Provorov. And, you know, he's continued that run. His goal today now brings him to 10 points in his last 10 games. And yeah, he's getting the big minutes that Gosses Pahar isn't getting. He's getting second power play time. So not, you know, the, as good power play time as Gosses Pahar, but he is getting time on the power play. And yeah, I don't know. I'd be curious to know who you'd want between the two going into your fantasy playoffs. Do you see Travis Sanheim as someone who could at least somewhat keep up? Like, assuming Gosses Bear isn't available anyways, and, and somehow Travis Sanheim is still in free agency, do you see anything sustainable at, about the run that Sanheim is on? Okay, so I'll start with Gostas Beher, and I will concede for sure that my timing was off. It was actually something, I know I said it just like three days ago, but it was something that had been on my mind since a couple weeks ago, and I missed the show where I could have brought it up uh, when you were with Peter Harling. Um, but so that's good. You had the opportunity to not have said this thing and, <laughs> no, guided, pe- and I, guided people that he's still good just for him to go pointless. You had well, your no, opportunity. I'm not guiding, but no, I'm not going to say, yeah, he's still good. He's still great. Go get like guaranteed. But I just don't think we gave Gostas Bear his due for. He put up 11 points in 13 games heading into what's now become a cold stretch. And Gostas Bear is still struggling through some rough shooting luck, just one goal on his last 58 shots. Um, though, He's not helping himself. He's now gone two games without even registering a shot on goal. So Gus Bear is not out of the woods yet, but there was a silver lining that gave us a glimpse of the talent and upside that I still very much believe to be there. So th- I guess that's that's where we're at on Gosses Bear because he cooled down before we could really talk about it. But he had a very good 13 game stretch. That's not a, that's not peanuts. Travis Sanheim, on the other hand, uh, also having a really great stretch. He scored four times. On his last five shots, uh, so that gives him nine goals on the season on 98 shots, which is a pretty high conversion rate for a defenseman. He's actually top 15 in five-on-five goals per 60, top 20 in all situations goals per 60 amongst defensemen. So Sanheim is making the most of his minutes in scoring goals, but this goal scoring isn't sustainable. Don't expect it to continue. But if you do own him or thinking of owning him, he does have nine assists in his last 15 games. So even when the goals do dry up because of regression, uh, hopefully those assists can keep coming. Yeah. Also, when you're playing top pairing, that gives you a lot of time on the ice to block shots, hit people, <laughs> throw a shot on goal. So you might be able to get some peripherals out of Sandheim that you won't be getting out of Shane Goss' pair. Uh, a couple quick notes on teams out of the playoff race in the East. And Brian, oh man, we haven't even gotten to the West yet, but I think I had more to talk about on the East. Uh, can we call Frank Vetrano a snoozer at this point? East Coast you- bias. <laughs> He Vitrano played on line three with Sheehan and Brower today, and he's pointless in six straight. He did have five shots versus Ottawa today for whatever that's worth, but I kind of feel like with Frank Vitrano, it's kind of like a, it was fun while it lasted, but the fun seems like it's over at this point, right? Yeah, it is. If he's not playing on the top line, then you can forget about him. Yeah. I, w- I wish people could see the video here. Just have bright- <laughs> you, you have to go to keepingcross.com slash YouTube to see Brian just flippantly waving his hand. like or non- I don't even know exactly how you would describe it. It's like, nah, yeah, just get rid of him. You, you don't need him. I'm doing it now. You still can't see it. So I don't know why I'm doing it now. Okay. Uh, the Devils had an injury situation last week. I wanted to call that an in-and-out burger. Um, no, uh, no. You were doing so well. <laughs> you just said injury, and we were just going to keep rolling. I still think it should be called an in-and-out burger. Okay. Uh, so they had Sammy Vatnin return, and Kyle Palmieri has been announced to be out for a couple of weeks with a lower body injury. Uh, so that's a bummer and a good thing. I guess Owen in a huge shocker. Taylor Hall had surgery. And I doubt he'll be back this season. They're saying maybe he'll be back this season. But I mean, like, frick, 
Taylor Hall. Like, why couldn't they just tell? This is like the Shea Weber from a couple years ago on the Habs. I was like, why didn't you just tell us that he wasn't going to come back? Like, he's having they surgery. Didn't know. They didn't know. So probably it's the same situation. Well, the Habs, you never know. But like, uh, or at least that was the rumor on Twitter. So this is in my opinion. Uh, but Taylor Hall, I guess it seemed pretty clear for a while with him not even skating that there was a pretty serious issue. He was day to day like back when he was first missing games. And then now it seems like there's a very good chance he won't be back for the season. So anyway, uh, let's talk about the guys who are potentially in your lineup. So Sami Vatnin, uh, no points in four games so far since he's come back from injury. Is he worth a watch list or are you not expecting anything to happen here? Like he, at one point this season, he was looking pretty good, but now it kind of seems, well, overall in New Jersey with Hall out, Johansson is gone. Now Kyle Palmieri is injured. Like uh, right now, Drew Stafford is playing on the top line with Heischer and Brad. And I just saw, I think today that Heischer might be injured. So there might be even less offense to go around on New Jersey soon. So I don't even know. Is it even worth talking about who's worth owning on the Devils? It kind of seemed like the Sens at this point in terms of having no one that you want to own in fantasy. Well, there is still Jesper Bratt, who, uh, yeah, is kind of alone as the only one who I think can score goals if all these injured, like if he's here is also injured for any length of time. I actually liked him as a streamer. He's been on a heck of a roll over his last 10 or 15 games. Uh, he's pointed in all but two of uh, three of them. So yeah, he's been a great stream and I actually just added him to my own team this week, but now I'm going to have to seriously reconsider what the heck he can possibly do. Um, there's no Palmieri, no Heeshear, no Hall. There's not even Marcus Johansson. So yes. I, You're saying I don't know. Playing with Zajac and Drew Stafford doesn't interest you very much as yeah, a not, bad owner? Not sp- Maybe if he's playing with Blake Coleman, I <laughs> could get behind it. Hey, Blake Coleman had that good run, but that feels like yeah. that was so, so long ago. Okay, so let's go to the Western Conference now, see what's going on there. Uh, on the Central Division, it's a battle between Winnipeg and Nashville for the top spot, just like last year. The Jets are ahead by one point with 80 and have played three fewer games. The two teams played each other on Friday with the Jets winning 5-3. to three. And actually, Winnipeg is playing today, right? I, we've already brought it up. They're beating... What, 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 what do I, let me get... Yeah, Winnipeg's going to beat Columbus now. It's 5... Oh, Columbus, come on! 5-2 Jets, so they're going to win. So that's going to get them even ahead by, I guess, three points. Oh, actually, Nashville also plays today. So that that's what we get for recording a Sunday podcast and having games going as we're talking. Anyways, it's close between the two, right? And both of these teams have players that moved at the trade deadline. Mikhail Granlin got his first point as a Predator on Friday in that game versus Winnipeg, while Kevin Hayes had a big game picking up one goal and two assists. Uh, nothing from Wayne Simmons in his first game on Nashville, and he only saw 12 minutes and 40 seconds of ice time. Uh, he did see power play time, and I am seeing that Nashville has started today, and Wayne Simmons actually does have an assist today but yeah on the third line i don't know so of these three big names that moved granlin kevin hayes wayne simmons anything to say about these guys in terms of fantasy value going up or down i'm actually really curious about mikhail granlin in nashville i don't understand why minnesota got rid of him and why they didn't get a better return uh, but we might talk about that a little later uh, but i just uh he's had a really steady solid role in minnesota for a while and he seems like a really good player I'm just not sure like there has it's been a long time since we've had anybody consistently produce from Nashville's second line. And I wonder if Granlin's going to be able to break that curse or Wayne Simmons uh, or if they'll just uh, continue to play a very second fiddle to that top line in Nashville. So I'm very curious to see what happens. And I, I like and that's the that's the extent of my take. It helps Kyle Torres, too, if they play together. 
Yeah, and obviously it might not be Wayne Simmons playing with Torres, but it seems like Mikel Granlund for sure is going to be on the second line. Apparently Craig Smith is healthy today. I think he played. So I can take a look at the lines today as the game is going, thanks to uh, Frozen Tools. Uh, so Johansson, Forsberg, Arvidsson on the top line, and then Mikel Granlund, Craig Smith, and Kyle Torres. So great for, great for Smith and Torres playing with this like superstar Mikel Granlund who's been a 70-point guy the last couple of seasons. But yeah, I, I last week I was saying that I feel like Granlund should be fine, but maybe you're right. It's like there is something to being like the main guy getting the big deployment. Though I guess on Minnesota, like Eric Stahl and Zach Parise also have been big names. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. Then you have Kevin Hayes over on Winnipeg, who I guess we've already talked about a little bit. Brian, you have him in the couple. I know you must have been happy with that big game he had a couple games ago. Today, uh, is he doing anything for you? Winnipeg scored five goals. Now the game is now over. 5-2 Jets over the Blue Jackets. Kevin Hayes with a big no points. One shot. Nothing. That sucks. That's a shame. Yeah. So what do you think? Hayes, is he, you said before when you were talking about like Liney and, and Ehlers and, and Kyle Connor, like you're saying that they benefit from having a better center than Brian Little. But I feel like overall, Kevin Hayes, I'm a little worried about. I feel like he might not be as good. Like even Paul Stasny, who we remember from last year, having this like great run when he got to Winnipeg, he still was like 13 points in 19 games. It's not as if he was a point per game guy. So Kevin Hayes was on such a great run on the Rangers and, you know, playing on the top power play, which Kevin Hayes isn't going to do on Winnipeg. I find it hard to believe that he's going to be as valuable as he was before, even though he, he's on a team that scores more goals. I'm expecting it to be similar to Paul Stasny. Like he might have some small uh, outages while still putting up like enough points to stay on your roster. One uh, promising sign from tonight's game is that Kevin Hayes led all Winnipeg Jets forwards in time on ice. So that's really good. That, that, that shows that they want to commit to playing him. And by the way, all the uh, Winnipeg scored five goals, and it sounds like everybody got in on them. But it, Blake Wheeler scored four of them. Uh, Mark Shifley had three assists. And outside of them, there were only three points for forwards, one each for Liney, Andrew Cobb, and Matthew Perot. So it was not points for everybody in Winnipeg. Despite five goals, it was Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler running the show. Damn. Yeah, we had a question on Facebook. I think it was today, Mantha versus Ehlers. And I voted Mantha. I think more people voted Ehlers, but Ehlers, you know, not on the top line, not on the top power play. It's, you know, just like Evan Hayes. Like, it's hard to expect him to get, like, too, too many points, at least this season. While Mantha, we've already talked about playing with Dylan Larkin. It's a really good situation. Okay, so we're in the Western Conference in the Central Division. So you got Winnipeg and Nashville in the top two spots. Then we have St. Louis holding the third spot, Dallas and Minnesota in the wild cards. Currently, all of these three teams are very close. St. Louis, Dallas, and Minnesota, 74, 71, 70 points going into today, at least. Dallas actually beat St. Louis yesterday. Jordan Binnington took only his third regulation loss on the season. And he's 15-3-1, so he's been so, so good, but he is human, and he did lose a game yesterday and didn't play so great. Uh, like I mentioned before, nice to see Jamie Ben pick up that hat trick on three shots. But I know you'll say it's three goals on three shots. But hey, hat trick's a hat trick. And also John Klingberg put up a three-point game to put a stamp on Peter Harling having been right on saying that Klingberg is just fine. We talked about how Klingberg had slowed down a bit last week. Uh, Jamie Ben had actually missed the previous two games with injury, and he was pretty cold before that. And we were really excited for like, I guess, an hour or two when Zuccarello came over to Dallas. We thought that would be a great situation for Jamie Ben to finally have someone good to play with on a line outside of playing with Radulov and Sagan. Uh, but that's obviously not going to happen. Zuccarello is now out for a while. Uh, but hey, Jamie Ben, like I said, hat trick last week. And also he was playing on a line with Radulov and Sagan. So maybe Dallas will at least do him the favor of letting him play on the top line and, and improve his numbers for the rest of the year. What do you think about Jamie Ben moving forward? I think he might be okay. Like if Dallas wants to make it to the playoffs, uh, having Ben Sagan and Radulov doing everything they can, that's their only hope of getting there. I'd be drooling if I were uh, one of the top seeds uh, 
thinking about facing Dallas in the first round. That would be, it seems like one of the easier first round matchups possible. As for Jamie Ben himself, though, uh, this year has been difficult for him. Uh, one reason, it's like the reverse Jake Gensel. He's actually seeing two minutes less per night than he was used to seeing in previous seasons. And he's also had a couple stretches of games with like randoms as his line mates and apologies to uh, the, the depth on Dallas. But it's just not there. And Jamie Ben should be a player like you want him to be a player who can drive offense all by himself but there just really was not any support when he wasn't playing with Sagan and or Radulov so you give Jamie Ben those extra two minutes back and he's probably looking like at least a 65 point player maybe even a 70 point player rather than his current 58 point pace um Ben does have a couple 20-minute games that he's played recently, but still not yet seeing that on a regular basis. So uh, we're not out of the woods yet, fellow Jamie Ben owners. So if you want to count on him, though, that's what you're looking for, to see if his ice time does rise or at least creep up from 18 towards 20. It's also been a weird season on the whole, right? You had the owner calling out Ben and Sagan, and they're just – and. and then they acquired Zuccarello and he immediately got injured. Like, it just seems like it's been a, a real slog for the Dallas stars after another, essentially this season is another disappointment in a long line of disappointments. And it feels like their window is closing very quickly to support Ben Sagan and Radulov give enough talent in the rest of the roster to make them real contenders. So uh, I'm not sure how I got into saying that, but back to Jamie, Ben, Uh, He's lost some ice time. That's essentially what it comes down to. You want to see him get that ice time back if you want to be able to depend on him again. Okay, well, like I said, last game he was playing on the top line. Hey, Dallas, like they're in a playoff spot. Like I said, anything could happen in the playoffs. It's hard to imagine they get out of the first round, especially with the Zuccarello injury. Like they did, they finally did what they needed to do, get a supporting piece, a really strong player. And look what happens. You try to do nice things, look what happens. Brian, I'll give you $100 if you could name, no, I'm just kidding. But like, can you name, just for fun, and this is not uh, something that's you. I feel like most people can't. Name me three forwards on Dallas that are not on the top line and not Jason Spezza. Radek Saxa, Matthias Janmark, yeah. De- Devin Shore was traded. Yeah, he's gone. Cogliano. Yeah, okay, there you go. Other other acceptable answers would have been Blake Como, uh, Valerie Nichushkin, Jason Dickinson, Brett Ritchie, Roop Hints. So uh, <laughs> there you go. So it's, uh, it's like the Sens. There you go. We're in like New Jersey right now. Yeah, so, except they have a top line. Hey, this team beat St. Louis yesterday. Though, to be fair to St. Louis, maybe you could give them an excuse for losing. They have been struggling with a bit of injuries lately. Braden Chen, Dave and Perron, they've still been out. And apparently they're both going to be back soon. Uh, Pat Maroon bumped Jaden Schwartz to take a turn on line one with Ryan O'Reilly and Tarasenko yesterday. And we see how that went. They lost to Dallas. So I, it's probably not worth you know, asking you to weigh in on line one Pat Maroon, I'd assume, since probably it won't last since they lost the game. And with Shen and Perron maybe being back soon, both of them had runs with Ryan O'Reilly before they got injured. Uh, I guess the guy I'll bring up on St. Louis to talk about is Alex Petrangelo. How about this guy turning his season around? What a champ. His goal yesterday was his third in four games, and he's now up to 30 points in 54 games. It's a 46-point pace and climbing. In fact, if you just take away his first six games where he was pointless, I know you can't do that, but just for fun, take it away. Since then, he's been above a 51-point pace guy. So Alex Petrangelo really doing well after that slow start. 
he might be a good sleeper for next year. Like you said about Gensel, maybe like maybe people will just remember the fact that Petrangelo was frustrating at points in the season and not realize how good he's been lately. Seems like his like triplets hangover is maybe over. Like, you know, next year he won't be having as much of a lack of sleep as maybe he did at the start of this season. This whole Vince Dunn top power play experiment seems like it's over. I guess you never know, but it seems like that's not going to happen. So maybe next year Petrangelo will be able to approach his 57 points that he got last year. Yeah, you nailed it, Elon. Petrangelo being the clear-cut quarterback on the top power play unit is big, and Petrangelo has been pacing now. Like you said, aside from a a bit of a rough start, I'm okay taking those games out, and now Petrangelo is pacing just as we'd have hoped going into the year. So he will be a great pick next year if you can sneak him at the right time while people just didn't realize that he did turn into the Alex Petrangelo we were waiting to see. Uh, It just took him a little while. Yeah, and now he is rolling. Very happy to have him in one of my leagues. In another league in the Cacupful, I traded him for Seth Jones early in the season. It felt like a steal at the time. Right now, it kind of seems pretty even. I don't think it's really easy to say Jones versus Petrangelo. Maybe even you'd want Petrangelo since he's the one playing on the top power play. Uh, Okay, how about the Minnesota Wild? Man, this is a team that's also, just like Petrangelo, I really turned things around recently. I feel like it's just a few weeks ago we were talking about how Devin Dubnik was terrible and Minnesota seemed like an embarrassment. Uh, They've now won five in a row going into today they're playing nashville they're in the third period and they are ahead two to one so we might be talking about six wins in a row minnesota wild after today devin dubnik once again reminding everyone why you probably don't want to drop an established number one goalie on a playoff contending team while they're slumping like everyone was asking what should i do about devin dubnik a few weeks ago and brian even though you said like yeah we should probably realize that he's not like a fantastic goalie i think you said like don't drop him and uh hope i know that a couple of our yeah. patrons did and it's too bad now he's on a hot streak stalock playing today and hey even he's doing well so minnesota really shaping things up and you know a fun fact about this current winning streak that they're on it started exactly when ryan donato joined the team after being wow. acquired from boston <laughs> was that a wow yeah that was a wow Look at that. This is a guy who's already read the notes and he's still wowed by the impact that Ryan Donato has had on Minnesota. Uh, and you know what? It's not just a coincidence. Like, Donato's been a big point, a part of this. Like, he's pointed in every single game he's played. I mean, maybe except for today. He doesn't have a point yet today. But Donato has two goals and five assists in five games in Minnesota going into today versus Nashville. Are we at ma- must-add time for Ryan Donato at this point? He was playing on a line with Joel Erickson Eck and Matt Reed. I guess I could bring up right now who he's been playing with today, but like, it's not as if he's been playing on the best line. He's been getting decent power play time and line mates. Clearly he's like a talented player. We liked him at the start of this year when it seemed like he might get a shot on the top power play in Boston. And he's still very young. Are you seeing any unsustainable flags in this current Ryan Donato streak? Or do you think he's the guy that you should want to add if he's available in free agency over some of the other guys we've talked about earlier in the show? So first, let me say that Minnesota is the most confusing team right now. They treated Mikhail Granlund and Nino Niederreiter for Victor Rask and Kevin Fiala, which is a very strange look for a team that's had one of the longer standing, or at least one of the teams who's been known to have one of the longer standing analytics departments. Um, Though I guess they haven't seen past success, and maybe this is where they stop listening to the analytic folk who have been trying to guide their decisions over the last uh, several years. I feel like it won't end well, but it is Pretty funny that all of a sudden they trade away a a few players for not much of a return and here they are on their best run of the year. And a lot of that can be attributed to Devin Dubnik, who's given up two goals or less now in five consecutive games and 950 save percentage over that stretch. He stopped 151 
of 159 shots. Uh, way to go, Devin Dubnik. And good for you if you did hold on to him, even though you knew it wasn't a, a great guy, a great goalie. He's on an okay team. Uh, he can be an okay goalie, and you deserve this. I hope it's not too late to have helped your team. Elon, you asked specifically, though, about Ryan Donato. Yeah. And actually here, before you get into him, I will mention I looked at the lines for today, and he's actually been playing on a line with Jason Zucker and Eric Stahl. So top line, Ryan Donato is who we're talking about right now. No points today, though there was a goal scored by Jason Zucker, assisted by Saul and Ryan Suter. So I'm assuming Donato was right there with them on the ice. Uh, so I like him even more now that I'm seeing who he's playing with today. And Zucker on his own little role, right? He's been, uh, he's suddenly got a five game point streak. And Eric Stahl, uh, who was doing nothing before. Minnesota! What What the heck? Like they they make some head scratching moves where it's, uh, I don't know what you're doing. Maybe the, the chemistry improved in the locker room. I don't know. But I do know. Going back to Ryan Donato, he's a player that we've been excited about a couple times before on the show, including right around this time of year, last year, when he was getting his first shifts in the NHL as a Bruin. I love that in Minnesota, he's instantly, well, he was getting mid-six ice time. I'll have to see if now it's top six ice time because he was getting bottom six ice time in Boston when they weren't having him on their AHL roster. And with the ice time that he's getting in Minnesota, uh, Ryan Donato is taking shots over his first five games as a member of the Wild. He had 14 shots on goal. So that's fantastic. Way to go, Ryan Donato. Playing with Stahl and Zucker, especially if those guys are going and Minnesota thinks that Donato can help them keep that going, uh, that could be a really great add to make to your team at this point of the season. It's rare that the trade deadline uh, gives a player who had zero value a whole bunch of value all of a sudden, but Ryan Donato may be that guy this year. Yeah, and if you're in a fantasy matchup next week, Minnesota plays Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. So if you grab Ryan Donato, you could get that condensed three games in four nights and then decide if, you know, if you have your matchup all secured, then you could keep on holding on to him for the following week. Otherwise, you could drop him for the weekend for someone playing, you know, Detroit plays two games on the weekend. How about you grab Ryan Donato for three games, maybe get Mantha for the weekend? I don't know if he'll still be available, but you know, could do a lot worse. Uh, let's go to the next team. So in the Pacific Division, now we've got Calgary at the top with 89 points. San Jose in second with 84. Vegas is, I guess, pretty comfortably in third with 77 points after their win today. They're ahead of Arizona, who has 69 points, but a couple games in hand over Vegas. Uh, so we'll talk about all these teams. On Calgary, Mike Smith wasn't great in his game against the Wild yesterday, but who has been great against the Wild lately, as we've just discussed? And David Riddick has actually been good in his last couple of starts, so maybe it's seesaw time again for the Calgary goalie situation. Calgary plays Monday, Wednesday, Thursday next week, so it'll be interesting to see who gets the starts, how those starts get distributed, and how both of those goalies do, because I think that'll say a lot about who Calgary likes going forward. Right now, I feel like maybe we're I don't, it's hard to say like just one bad game from Mike Smith and all of a sudden you'd be like, oh, maybe now it's even again. It depends. They have to earn their spot. But I just kind of feel like that's the situation because Mike Smith played poorly. David Riddick has been good lately. So why wouldn't they now? You know, they're going to have to play both of them in these next three games and then see what they're going to do after that. So it's hard to really ask you what to do with these guys if you have a preference. I feel like we could just wait and see. The, the, it's interesting because Calgary, like I said, they're at the top of their division. They're second in the league in points right now, but I just don't have the same warm feelings about their goalie tandem than the Boston goalie tandem. Who I said that they're like the one rare goalie tandem where I'd want to just own both guys. In Calgary, even though it's just as unsure, I feel like for some reason I wouldn't want to hold both of those guys just because I feel like they're more likely to maybe blow up my save percentage in a given game. Exactly. Neither one has proven reliable. It's like Calgary still has to win in spite of their goaltending, whereas Boston wins with their goaltending. Between Riddick and Smith, it's tough. 
I feel like right now, I mean, Smith had that really ugly play on Saturday night where he went behind the net for no apparent reason, bobbled the puck, couldn't get it to his defenseman. It was just stripped by, uh, by I can't remember who it was, but they scored on essentially an empty net because Mike Smith made a poor puck handling choice. And I wonder if that's enough to just swing the pendulum back to David Riddick, who also can't be trusted to take the ball and run with it. So I think you need to cuff these guys if you have a Calgary goalie uh, desire. If you want to pick one guy who's going to get two starts next week, I'm going to put my money on Riddick. Ooh, okay. Well, so let's see. I have a feeling Riddick gets to start on Monday. And then it kind of makes sense. Then if they do a back-to-back Wednesday, Thursday, then Riddick gets another one. So I think uh, smart money right there betting on David Riddick. Uh, By the way, Calgary playing Monday, Wednesday next week. Like I said, only two teams, Toronto and Calgary, play Monday, Wednesday. So if you want to get a good streamer, maybe take a screamer. (laughs) Well, we'll see how he does, right? But let's see how uh, McCallum Backlund could potentially do for you. He's one of the rare Calgary top six guys, I guess in Fro League, who would be available in free agency in a lot of leagues. And Backlund's actually really hot right now. He's got eight points in his last seven games. So if you have a forward sitting on Tuesday, it's probably an obvious move to get Backlund in instead if you can get him. Uh, Brian, let's go. Or do you want to? I guess you'll probably want to comment on that. Uh, no, I think you've got it. Backlund's a good stream. Fro League isn't a great ad, but his time on ice bounced up to 16 and a half minutes on Saturday night after it had stayed below 12 minutes the three previous games. And that happened without his agent tweeting at the flame. So no guarantees with Fro League or Backlund. But uh, if you've got a shot in the dark that you want to take to add another couple games to your lineup, uh, you could probably do worse than Fro League in his Monday, Wednesday games. Or if your league values peripherals, how about Travis Hamanick? Who, gen- who generally puts a pretty decent combination of shots, blocks, and hits together to help you out, even if he doesn't pick up a point, which is more often than not. So there you go. Take a look at the Calgary and Toronto players, see who you want to stream in. By the way, on Toronto, we didn't bring him up because I already talked about him last week, but Andres Janssen, he'd be, if he's, av- he's probably not available, but he's still top-line, top-power player with Austin Matthews, so he'd be an obvious guy to stream. And then I, I mentioned like maybe Marlowe could be available for those uh, Monday-Wednesday games. Okay, uh, let's go to San Jose now. They are currently dealing with a couple injuries. Eric Carlson, Andy Vanderkane, both currently out. Like I said last week, I prefer not to talk about Eric Carlson's injuries anymore. It just makes me too sad. Evander Kane, though, it's supposed to be short term. He's apparently still going to be out for tonight's game against Chicago. And Kevin LeBanc has taken Kane's line two spot with Hurdle and Donskoy in the meantime. And uh, LeBanc had two assists on Friday. He gets good power play time. So, you know, he was a, a decent stream before. And now I like him even better because that was a really productive line. Hurdle, Kane, and Donskoy. So hopefully LeBanc could keep it going somewhat for as long as Kane's out. It might even just be tonight. And, you know, people listening to this tomorrow will already know how he did. Since we're on San Jose, we might as well bring up Gustav Nyquist, who was acquired at the trade deadline. No points so far in two games. Uh, again, he's playing today. He's been playing with Thornton and Marcus Sorensen. So I'm surprised to see Gustav Nyquist. He goes from top line with Larkin to, I guess, the third line. And not that Joe Thornton is chopped liver. He's been great. We've given him a lot of credit. But I would have preferred to see Gustav Nyquist playing maybe in on that line with Hurdle, you know, either replacing Donskoy or Kevin LeBanc right now. So maybe something changes for tonight. But yes, yeah, somewhat disappointing for Gustav Nyquist at this point. Brian, what do you think about him moving forward? He was on a 65-point pace before the trade. Do you think he can keep that up? Or do you think he's going to be hard-pressed? to be even nearly as valuable. I don't think he's going to be as valuable. Uh, We're talking about Gustav Nyquist here, whose minutes are going down as a member of the San Jose Sharks. His power play role has been decreased. Uh, You could argue that his line mates aren't as good. He's he's been playing with Joe Thornton and Marcus Sorensen. 
Joe Thornton versus Dylan Larkin. I suppose we could get into a debate on that. I would rather uh, my guy be playing on a top line with Dylan Larkin than a middle six line with Joe Thornton. So yeah, it's a shame for Gustav Nyquist and anybody who rode Gustav Nyquist after adding him early in free agency this year. uh, He provided you with a lot of value all year. So thank him and be ready to start moving on. Like you can hang on for another couple of games to see if we see another shuffle in the shark signs, but I don't love what this trade has done to his fantasy value. Yeah. Seems still similar to Alex Tuck right now, right? Like he gets traded. Well, Tuck didn't get traded, but you know, after all this movement, he finds himself in the third line, which is not where you want someone to be, especially if they, and just like Tuck, you know, such a great point pace for a lot of the season. Now it's going to be hard to expect it to continue. And actually let's go to Vegas. We already talked about Alex Tuck. I'll also mention that anyone who was patient with Marsha So and Riley Smith are currently being rewarded. They're both on great runs. Plus I'm loving my recent Shea Theodore acquisition in the cupful. He had an assist today versus Vancouver. That brings him to one goal and four assists in his last five games and in his last three games four seven and six shots so he's just you know really valuable right now i feel like the mark stone acquisition really helps shay theodore because shay theodore is on that top power play with him i gotta say thanks to uh ryan k for dropping him in my couple division and making him available and but since i'm throwing shade at ryan k how about i'll also throw out pucktees.org his t-shirt site which is a really great place to get cool hockey t-shirts uh okay yeah, I think that Shea Theodore is the clear defenseman to own on Vegas. Before we've had conversations about him versus Schmidt versus Colin Miller. Right now, you got to go Theodore, right? Yeah. I Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is the point in the show where I ask long-winded questions and then Brian says one word to answer. Uh, Brian, we knew this was coming. Sorry to have to do this to you, but I got to ask, was your take that Darcy Camper is unreliable and you don't trust the Coyotes, is that equivalent to how you didn't believe in the Golden Knights all of last year and then they came to kind of blow up in our faces? Camper, so good lately. He's been an MVP on the two fantasy teams that I have him on, currently on a six-game winning streak, a 943 save percentage over those games. Coyotes now just a single point behind Ryan Donato's wild for the last wild card spot, though I guess Minnesota's going to win today. That's going to put them three points back. <laughs> Ryan Donato's wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, just got to say, I kind of said a few episodes ago, Darcy Kemper is fantastic and you should grab him. And I said also that I think that Arizona might get that last wild card spot. I think there was a little bit of scoff- scoffing. I don't know. You tell me. Well, I, I just hope that our listeners aren't as tired of hearing this from you as I am. I, and I'm going to repeat what I've been saying the whole time. Uh, I stand by my takes on Arizona's quality of play, not being far above average and being below average for stretches of the season. And uh, that Darcy Kemper is still playing worse than the average goalie would in the same body of work. Um but slightly below average is still a step up for Darcy Kemper. So I'll give you that as I think I have several times this year. Wait, when, so do even, I, when do I get to stop hearing about this? Okay, wait, but when you stop saying that he's below average. like He so is. Even, so even during the stretch of a six-game winning streak, he's been playing below average? Is that what you're saying? No, but any goalie can play above average for, like, I'm, I'm not going to say, oh, for the last six games, uh, now right. Darcy Kemper's an elite goalie. Okay, well, I guess I could stop bringing him up because he's already now taken in every league. All these people are yelling <laughs> yeah. and being like, thanks, Brian, for letting my opponent have Darcy Kemper. So I guess you're right. I don't have to bring him up anymore. I will say he's, tw- I will- he's oh. 20, 14, and four on the season as a 918 save percentage. So it's not even just the last six games. That's above average. Like Nashville or Arizona is probably something like Ronta who? They don't even need him. Kemper, just as good. I'm like Calvin Picard who? That, okay. uh, that take didn't age well. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Let's not even bring that up. I don't want to hurt uh, your credibility even more. Of course, 
Kemper's job is going to maybe get a little bit harder now that Derek Stepan is going to be out four to six weeks with a leg injury. It's too bad. Stepan was on a nice run of points in four straight before getting hurt. I had him queued up to, to, to uh, recommend adding on today's show. I was going to bring him up and say him and actually linemate Lawson Kraus, who was getting in on the action. And Kraus is also giving you all those huge hit numbers. Now, uh, I guess it's not as good. So Stepan's out. Kraus played yesterday with Christian Dvorak and Josh Archibald. Took four shots, didn't get any points. You still still think Kraus is worth looking at even with Stepan out? Or were you even going to say that Kraus wasn't worth looking at before? Like, he gets all those hits. So even if he just got you like a half point per game, that would be good. And he was doing even better than that playing with Stepan. But now he's not playing with Stepan. If his banking helps you, then Lawson Kraus was worth a look. Uh, he probably still is. But if hits aren't counted, uh, Kraus was barely with a, worth a look with Derek Stepan in. It was a fun little run that that Stepan Kraus Archibald line had, but it's nothing I would have wanted to rely on. So no, I'm not uh, I'm not rushing for Kraus unless his hits uh, really do me a favor. Yeah, I mean, Arizona's a weird team. Again, another one of these teams that's winning games, but it's hard to find valuable guys to really rely on in fantasy. Like, I feel like we have to consider Vinny Hinestroza. He had a goal and assist yesterday versus Detroit, followed up his three-assist game versus Vancouver. It's like, so many random people helping the Coyotes keep winning. Is Hinestroza on your radar at all to stream in when you have room for a Coyote player or not even? Even the Coyotes' better players haven't been reliable this year, so trying to stream another one is all the more harrowing. But I do like Hinnestrata's six shots in his last two games. Um, but as is the case with Kraus and Archibald and Garland and Stepan and everybody else in Arizona, uh, Hinnestrata could appear or disappear anytime. So I would hope that there are better streaming options out there. Yeah, Clayton Keller has been doing a bit better lately. So if he was dropped in your league, maybe now is the time to grab him back for cheap. Uh, so let's move on here. We've got Colorado still in the playoff race as well, right behind Arizona with 68 points. Took a tough loss to the Ducks today of all teams. They lost two to one. Alex Kerfoot had that time on line one and power play one with McKinnon and Rantanen. But the big three, Landis got back with McKinnon and Rantanen today. Uh, but they lost. So who knows what happened? is moving forward but yeah i was going to potentially recommend bringing up uh you know adding alex kerfoot but now let's let's not even talk about him let's go to a couple of teams not likely to make the playoffs but important notes to bring up about them all the same so alex edler has returned to the canucks uh, he jumped right back to the top power play in his first game back no points or shots but he did have five blocks and two hits versus arizona he played again today had another great big peripheral game today like Vancouver lost three nothing to Vegas, but Edler for at least for his part at five blocks and three hits. Do you think the points will come for him? He was actually in the midst of a brutal cold spell before he got hurt. He only had one goal in ten games before getting hurt. So it's a long time now since Alex Edler has been productive. Plus, like Vancouver overall isn't scoring goals. I saw Brock Besser was taken off the top power play and off the Peterson line yesterday. So yeah, things are getting concerning in Vancouver. So how valuable is someone like Alex Edler at this point? Still pretty valuable. I mean, there's always the chance that he he gets going again. I think it's more likely than not that he does. Uh, and I, I, like, I, I don't know. What's the question here? Like, will the points come back? It's been a long time since Alex Edler has gotten points. Do you think that he's yeah. going to be getting people points for their fantasy playoffs? Or maybe should they be looking elsewhere? I mean, you have to think so. Like you said, uh, Vancouver just is not scoring a whole lot lately. They have had two or fewer goals in almost all of their last nine games. Uh, they've had two four-goal games, and the rest have been either two goals or they've been shut out. So you have to think that'll turn eventually, and when it does, Edler is going to huh. be in on it. Like, I'm not writing off Alex Edler uh, because of a cold spell. He had such a good stretch earlier this year, and I still trust that that power play can do a little damage with Edler on it. 
yeah, Adam says in the chat room, point schmoitz, Edler is a block god. So yeah, if, you, if you're benefiting from his blocks, you might as well have him because there is that point potential. Though, Brian, it is interesting that your argument for why you think he'll be fine is that Vancouver hasn't been scoring goals lately. Though I feel like when we talked about Anaheim, you know, Cam Fowler went pointless for so long and, and Anaheim wasn't scoring any goals. I feel like the point was, yeah, Anaheim can't score. So why do you want Cam Fowler? But I guess you have a little bit more confidence in Vancouver bouncing. Like, I feel like when I see a team not scoring goals going into my fantasy playoffs, that's not a team that I necessarily want a player on. Uh, but hey, maybe, uh, obviously, I like him in Bangers Leagues. And if it's not a Bangers League, maybe tweet at us at Keeping Carlson with your two players that you're comparing, uh, deciding if you want to drop Edler or keep him. I'd be curious to know who else is out there at the very least, even though he's on the top power play, but it's on a team that's not scoring. Yeah, I have more faith in Vancouver scoring goals than Anaheim. Anaheim kind of stinks. Vancouver does not. I, I wouldn't say they're a team that stinks. And uh, over this nine-game stretch that they have just 18 goals, they've been shooting 6% as a team. That's got to turn. Okay, well, let's talk about those Ducks right now who you say they stink, Vancouver doesn't stink. I don't see them as that, as that different, really, when, when you break it down. Obviously, one has Elias Peterson. One has Ryan Getzlaff, who came back today, finally. Uh, and guess what? Anaheim won today against Colorado. Getzloff didn't get a point, but you know who did get a point? Ricard Raquel. Wow, an assist. Maybe this is the start of something. I was saying before that I still, like, I, there was actually on Facebook, in our patron-only Facebook group, I had asked something, like, oh yeah, it looked like Raquel was maybe going to get suspended. So I asked, like, is Raquel going to get suspended or not? Because there was no news about it. Then Alexander from Mokhtar told me, just drop the guy already. But I was kind of like, eh, well, you know, like the thing with me is like, first of all, Raquel had all those points last year. And I just really love this Anaheim schedule. Like next week, they play Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. It's so, going to be so hard for me to find someone to replace Raquel who will give me even like half of the games that he would give me. So I've held on, got my point today. We'll see what happens moving forward. And by the way, Ryan Getzlaff isn't the only guy who came back. John Gibson is also back after missing a couple of weeks. He took a tough loss to Vegas on Friday where he stopped 31 of 33 shots, but the Ducks couldn't score. Finally got the goal support he needed today, which was only two goals, but it was enough because Gibson stopped 25 of 26 in the 2-1 win over Colorado. Do you like Gibson moving forward? Like there was a stretch where like Anaheim was letting no. in so but Anaheim was letting in so many goals for a stretch, and he seemed like even though he's a good goalie, he's not gonna be able to help your save percentage or goals against average. But lately, even when he was injured, we were talking about Boyle and Ryan Miller actually having decent enough games like maybe Anaheim's not going to win a lot because they can't score goals but does seem like they've kind of figured out their defense a little bit since that horrible run before Gibson got injured yeah I like I still really I what do you have any reason to think that uh Anaheim has solved their defensive problems that have plagued them all year I guess in the last few games they've (laughs) not let in many goals and John Gibson is a really good goalie So John Gibson is a really good goalie, but the thing is, if he's not a really good goalie, the Ducks don't win. Nine of his 18 wins, so half of his wins, he has picked up by letting in one goal or less. So essentially, if he doesn't do that, his chances of winning are pretty much pooch. So he has to be a really fantastic goalie in a really terrible situation to be able to pick up a win, which he's capable of doing. Uh, but I really wouldn't want to be counting on him for wins, at least. I'd be happy to count on him for save percentage still to some extent, although some nights he sees so much rubber, there's not even he, not even he is able to do something about it. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm in a points league where I have him. So wins are great. But if he could just make a lot of saves and not let in a lot of goals to give me negatives, he's still very valuable. And I turned down a trade where I could have gotten like John Tavares and Roman Yosi for him early on in the season. I'm kind of regretting that now that I'm in my playoffs in the PHL league. But hey, uh, right now, I'm happy that Gibson is back and not doing terribly. He got a win today. Hopefully he could keep it up. But I agree with you. Yeah, wins, I'm not counting on. I feel like there's a good chance that he could at least give me a good save percentage the rest of the season. Brian, that's it. We've gone through the whole playoff situation in the league this has been a lot of fun nice to talk to you again after I that actually, week off. you saw you know, more to talk about yeah i have a i have a short list of players that i wanted to mention before we end that oh, uh, damn. and we have a patron we have a patron cast on tuesday but you you want to give it away for free right now <laughs> oh yes okay what a guy <laughs> there's more there's more to come on the patron cast but i think a couple guys we'd be remiss without mentioning uh and Neilan, maybe you can pull up the nashville lines to help me out in a minute, but I'll start by going to Edmonton, where Zach Cassian is the guy playing with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl on the top line for two games now, and uh, Cassian has a goal in each of those games and seven shots. So I don't know how long he's going to be there. It could be over by the time next game starts, but be mindful. He's in a pretty good third wheel situation right now, which means Alex Chieson is not. So if you've been holding him, he is snoozing. He's even snoozing when he's on the top line. So for you know I don't like Alex Chieson. Okay, Nashville. Did you manage to pull up those lines, Elon? Yes, I did. So uh, so to recap for Nashville, first of all, they this game with Minnesota today continues and it is still two to one. No, they've scored. Oh, they're in overtime right now. It's two two. Sorry, I had to wait for my page to refresh here. So we'll see how things finally shake out before we're done talking about them because they're in overtime as we speak. But yeah, so I think I said this already actually earlier on in the show, Brian. I said it was Johansson, Forsberg and Arvidsson, then Granlin with Craig Smith, who recently was outjured, and Kyle Turris. Weren't you? You were okay. here with me. Yeah, sorry. So Craig Smith, I just wanted to, but we didn't really stop to talk about him. So in case you missed it, Craig Smith is back from injury playing on a, on a, that's a really strong second line. Smith, Tourist, Grunland, uh, and Smith had four points in seven games before being injured was always one of the better stream options. Nashville has a crummy two game schedule this week, but uh, if he holds this spot in the lineup, it could be a really interesting uh, thing to stream Craig Smith back into your lineup now that he's healthy. Okay. Is that it? You got anyone else for us? Uh, I'm going to bring up for no really great reason, Alex Biega, who's this 5'10", 199 pound defenseman who is 30 years old. He's going to turn 31 in about a month. He's a journeyman. He has not a lot of NHL games under his belt, but this year he has been playing uh, again, mostly part-time duties for the Vancouver Canucks third pairing minutes but he's been better than he's been the best the most prolific Alex on the blue line in Vancouver lately he has six points in his last nine although he didn't score tonight and has six points in his last 10 games a goal and five assists 22 shots no power play time so like look you're not counting on this guy for points but he's getting these random points and throwing a couple hits couple blocks and sometimes taking like two, four, five shots in a night. So maybe worth a stream in some deeper leagues. There's your real deep cut, Alex Biega. Yeah. Or maybe like you're playing daily fantasy and you could get him for super cheap as your defenseman to fill, fill out your lineup. Okay. With that, Brian, we are done for now. This has been a really fun episode. Like I was about to sort of get into, we've been uh, going through all the league, talking about a bunch of guys. Let us know what you thought of the show. Let us know if you ended up adding any players based on our recommendations. Feel free to send us angry face emojis if it turned out that those players don't do well. We're trying our best to give you what you can do. And I just want to wish everybody good luck in their fantasy playoffs if you made it. If you didn't make it, 
Yeah, I don't know. Better luck next year. What can I say to you? But uh, thanks for then listening, even though you're eliminated. That shows that you're a real true fan of the show, and we definitely really appreciate it. If you're a really big true fan of the show, you could always help us out by giving us a five-star review on iTunes. We always just save asking for that at the end. You know other podcasts? They're like asking you all throughout at the start of the show. Help us out on iTunes. Just going to mention it here. It would help us out. It doesn't cost you anything. And if you do have a little spare change to spare, you could also throw us $5 a month to get on our Patreon program. And we try to make it worth your while with a bunch of perks, including access to our patron-only Facebook group, where Brian and I are actively answering your questions. You're also getting questions answered by the other patrons. We have our patron cast, our monthly patron cast. You can sign up as a patron right now and then join us live on Tuesday or get the show afterwards. Plus, you could submit your questions for us and we answer every single question we get when we do our patron cast. It should be a really fun show on Tuesday. Uh, there's other perks too. You can check it all out, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But with that, Brian, let's cue the outro music. And while I check, and yes, it's now going to a shootout between Minnesota <laughs> and Nashville. Why don't you go ahead and read us the credits and then I'll let everyone know how that game ended. Yeah, everybody, please stay tuned for the thrilling conclusion of Nashville, Minnesota. Uh, okay. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by by our patrons who are going to get a bonus episode where we answer every question they have on our patron cast coming up. Um, Welcome to our newest patrons, Alex W. and Mason G. Uh, So happy to have you. Uh, This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo. Anyone listening closely will have noticed the absence of Corsica Hockey in our credits list. Uh, RIP for the moment, at least to Corsica. Hopefully it'll come back one day. And uh, that's the list. Okay, and so far it's only one shootout attempt so far, Ryan Donato <laughs> missed. So we're going to have to end the show and leave you guys hanging. Join us on the Patreoncast on Tuesday to find out who won this game if you have no other way to find out. Uh, great job as a... Oh, Kyle Turris also missed. Okay, uh, great job as always, Brian, and we will catch you all with another regular episode next week. You can always join us at keepingcarls.com slash live, and we'll talk to the patrons on Tuesday. Until then, keep on keeping Carl son.